A lot of people ask, how can I lift a restraining order here in the state of Nevada? The answer is, initially, if someone seeks to restrain you, they will obtain typically a temporary order and the court will set a hearing. At that hearing, both sides will present evidence and the court will decide whether or not to extend the restraining order. If, however, you wish to attack a temporary restraining order, you can file a motion to either dissolve or modify that order and ask the court to schedule that for an earlier hearing. Additionally, if you go to a hearing for an extended order and you lose, you can still seek to dissolve or modify at a later date or you can file an appeal to the higher court to determine whether or not that order was lawfully issued. A court, whether it's a district court hearing an appeal or the Nevada Supreme Court reviewing a decision of the district court to issue a restraining order, typically no additional evidence will be offered and the appellate court will simply assess the record of the lower court to determine whether or not the order was lawfully issued. Of course, it's always a good idea when seeking to dissolve or modify a restraining order to have counsel to assist you in the process because you dramatically increase your likelihood of success when you're represented by counsel. Yeah, salute to both of them, brothers. Yes, sir, man, definitely, definitely. But um, A. Marie, Sam, man, A. Marie says, um, a Chicago-based R&B singer has been arrested in connection to a shooting at a Buckhead Hotel, and that's in, obviously in Atlanta. Said the shooting happened on December 1st at the Intercontinental Buckhead Hotel on Peachtree Road, according to Atlanta police. According to police report, officer responding to shots fired called at the hotel found a man suffering from a gunshot wound to the head. Officers noted in the report that a victim, a 24-year-old man, was somewhat responsive and responded to questions. He was transported to Grandy Memorial Hospital where he was last listed in critical condition. According to police report, a woman at the scene later identified as singer and songwriter Anna Marie allegedly told an officer that a gun fell off a table in a hotel room which caused the gun to go off hitting the victim. Huh? The arriving officer wrote in a police report that Anne Marie was screaming hysterically and she had to be removed from the hotel room where the shooting happened. Anne Marie continued asking officers if the victim was okay or dead and she reportedly told another officer she and the victim grew up together and they were from Chicago visiting Atlanta. Atlanta police did not provide any additional details, but Emory was booked at the Fulton County Jail for possession of a firearm and aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. <clears throat> um, yeah, that's the news right now, man. What well, that goes to that? T- that goes to show you. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm never going to believe no authorities or nothing like that. But they, they, if that was the case, I should say. You know, when it did fall off, um, they have like experts and stuff like that who can kind of see the trajectory of the gun, how it was shot, 
You know, because if it fell off, obviously it would have to be at a certain angle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Different things like that, as opposed to somebody going like that or going like that. They're going to know. They're going to know. So, you know, it's kind of hard for me to believe. But again, I don't want to be the, you know, bearer of bad news to nobody or nothing like that. We still got to wait and see. She may have a, um, a lawyer team or attorney team that may be able to put the truth on the record and show something different. I don't mm-hmm. know, but. <laughs> I go with intuition a lot, and, and you know, most of the time, and hopefully, and um, I don't know, I don't look good. <laughs> Gunshot wound to the head, like <laughs> to the they head, go, and it, they oh shit, they gonna know <laughs> if that gun fell off or didn't fall off and pop him in the head. And no disrespect, we're not laughing at the family, not, not at like all. That. It's no, just no, crazy, right? It's crazy. No disrespect and nothing like that. Um, condolences to the family, but. I mean, that, dang. I see. It, it was different. You said, all right, he got shot in the stomach. Yeah. Leg. Pelvis. You know what I mean? With the head. How the hell that happened? His head from the ground. Hey, We ain't no forensic experts, but that's <laughs> some kind of crazy. But we will find out. I'm not blaming anybody. All this is alleged. Oh, no, there's yeah, a headshot, yeah. gunshot wound ain't alleged. But everything that we're talking about is obviously alleged. One could speculate. But we'll wait and see. Yeah. Hopefully, this woman is telling the truth. Hopefully that brother survives to tell his truth, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, man, definitely, definitely. In closing, Sam, man, did you see the whole, um, did you see JoJo Capone with Choke, man? Oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> hell yeah, I did. Is that the thing has already been adjudicated. That's what race judicata means. You had your chance up here. There are rules that say that if you have a related suit asserted against you or a claim asserted against you, you don't have a choice. It's a compulsory counterclaim. That's what it's referred to in Rule 13a. And by not asserting your compulsory counterclaim in an initial action, you've waived it or you forfeited that claim. That's a big problem if the attorney who did that was unaware of how procedure works. The client's not going to know this. You have to know it. That's why you're studying this. All right, so again, people are going to think about, especially lay people, that's a bunch of technicalities. They don't understand, all right? And this is why people hate lawyers, because we talk about all these details that no one else cares about. We haven't even talked about, well, whose fault was it? Was it his fault or her fault? Or I'm hurt and I want to get recovery. You're not going to get to that. You're not ever going to get to that. You're going to be dealing with all of this stuff. So... If you are the attorney for the defendant, you need to know I've been my client has been sued for this. I need to respond or at least tell the client. If you don't file this counterclaim right now, you're not going to be able to file it ever. That's claim preclusion. There's a more complex concept called issue preclusion uh, that you'll typically cover at the very end of the class. I do uh, at the end of my semester. So that is an overview of the whole thing in a nutshell. You're not going to necessarily cover all of those things. I cover most, little more than half of that. Uh, In the advanced civil procedure course, I try to cover the rest. So we're not taking any questions. There's no time for that. Nobody wants to ask any questions. (laughs) All right? So that's it. Go take your break. Nevada even has statutes that penalize uh, abuse of show dogs under NRS section 574.107, 
which makes it a Category D felony up to four years in state prison for tampering or interfering with a show dog. Abusing a show dog is a Category D felony that carries up to four years in state prison. And if you are convicted for killing a show dog, you're looking at a Category C felony with a penalty of up to five years in the state prison. and everything out so you don't have no problems you get yourself a w2 at the end of the year you want that trust me <laughs> don't be like me in the past where i learned from that mistake okay now you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary what is a reasonable salary well if you look up on the irs rules they have certain they have certain rules around what a reasonable salary is it can be based upon expertise how much money the business generates um uh the the economy, where you're looking, it's a lot of things that are involved in this, okay? When it comes to reasonable salary. That's why you want to talk to a, um, a legal or a, a financial professional to be able to discuss what a reasonable salary is based off your business. I'm just giving you an example here. Now, the example I'm going to give you is, I'm going to say out of this $100,000 in net, I only want, I want 50% of that to, to be paid out as a reasonable salary to me. So I'm going to take a salary of 50,000 and I'm going to have the other 50,000 being paid out as a distribution to me. The distribution is still going to come to me. I just want it to be done differently. And I'll, I'll talk about why. The reason why is because on your reasonable salary of $50,000, you have to pay self-employment tax on that reasonable salary, okay? So, now that I'm only taking a salary of 50000 my self-employment tax, that 15.3%, instead of it being $15,300 that I'm paying on the whole, on the entire $100,000, I'm now only paying $7,650 in self-employment tax because my salary is only $50,000. You get it? 50,000, 15.3%, $7,650 in self-employment tax instead of 15,300 because the entire 100 grand I'm breaking it up into reasonable salary. Now, what happens to that other $50,000 in net? I'm paying it to me as a distribution. That's one of the advantages of having an S-Corp. You can pay a distribution to yourself. That distribution that you pay to yourself, there is no self-employment tax on the distribution. So now that there's no self-employment tax on the, 50, on the distribution, I'm getting the 50,000 bypassing that 15.3% in tax. I still have to pay, of course, the federal, the state, local, and et cetera taxes on that 50000 I'm bypassing that 15.3%, though, that becomes expensive to me over time as I start to make more money. So now, no, uh, no self-employment tax on that other $50,000, $0 in SC tax. So now I only had to pay $7,650 because I distributed it out. Now, I know what you're probably saying to yourself. Well... Don, why don't I, if I can bypass the self-employment tax of the 15.3%, why don't 
Why don't I just pay out my entire amount as a distribution? I know you're probably thinking that as an entrepreneur because look, I would think the same thing. Mm, 15.3, I've paid out as the distribution. Trust and believe me, the IRS keeps a very close eye on that. And that's why they say reasonable salary. Because if you start paying, if you try to abuse this rule, and out of this hundred thousand, you say, you know what? I'm only going to take a reasonable salary of ten of ten thousand dollars or ten percent of this, and the other ninety percent is going to be a distribution. I can guarantee you're going to get flagged, almost guarantee it. You don't abuse this here, right? So I say fifty-fifty. There's others online that say sixty-forty, right? Some people it depends. Talk to your talk to a professional, right? But. You want to make sure that it's a reasonable salary. I'm going 50-50 and I'm being modest here, okay? Don't abuse this rule. They put this in place for a reason because they know people are going to try to bypass and pay out an entire distribution of themselves to bypass the 15.3% in tax, right? So that's the reason why as an entrepreneur, don't try to get, don't try to do any funny business here, right? 50 percent goes reasonable. The other fifty percent goes distribution. Cool. I'm able to bypass. Now, if we talk about it from a savings perspective, now, remember, between my fifteen thousand three hundred dollars that I'm paying in self-employment tax on this entire one hundred k, plus that twenty-five percent that I'm paying in federal and state taxes, I'm paying about thirty-six thousand dollars over here as an LLC that's taxed as a, as a sole prop. But now, since I'm an S-Corp, I'm only paying $7,650 in self-employment tax, and I'm bypassing the self-employment on that other $50,000, and I still got to pay my federal and state taxes, right, which is still going to be $20,000 over here, same thing, but the difference is now, instead of me paying $36,000, I'm actually paying about $28,000 in taxes on this side. So now that I'm only paying 28 on this side, and I'm gonna write this down. Now that I'm only paying 28 on this side, instead of actually paying 36 on this. What's central in a prosecution for gaming fraud is intent. So for example, if somebody was just intoxicated and sloppy and didn't realize the cards had been dealt or didn't realize that uh, they had moved chips uh, to a position on the table that constituted a wager, it would be a defense if there was no intent to defraud the house. So what's really important is we have to obtain the videos that show the activity of the player. And it's central to the prosecution's ability to, to uh, successfully prosecute these cases, to have the video so they can prove that a person uh, wasn't merely making a mistake as opposed to committing a crime while gaming. With regard to defenses to animal cruelty charges, of course, there's always the defense of insufficient evidence because the state has to prove the charges against you beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, you also can claim defense of self-defense. If you're being attacked by an animal, you have absolutely the right to defend yourself. So if you were attacked by a vicious dog and you had to kill the dog to defend yourself, you would have a valid self-defense claim. 
another facet of self-defense would be defense of others. So that if your animal was being attacked by another animal, you would have the right to use deadly force to kill that animal if necessary to prevent your animal from being killed by a vicious dog. Finally, uh, intent would come into play in some types of animal cruelty related charges such as dog fighting. Let's just say you sold the dog and you had no intent that that dog would be used for animal fighting but it was of a specific breed that had a violent nature and ultimately the person who purchased your animal used it for dog fighting. If you did not intend the animal to be used for that purpose, you could not be convicted of selling an animal for the purpose of fighting. In Las Vegas, if you were charged for the first time with an act of solicitation, we can almost always get those charges dismissed. Now, you may have to intend some type of class uh, for sexual awareness, but if you complete the class, the charges against you would be dismissed. I'm attorney Michael Becker with Las Vegas Criminal Defense. If you've been charged with a criminal offense in the state of Nevada, Let's sit down, hear your side of the story, and see what we can do to get your charges reduced or dismissed. Christine is going to start off this hour in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Hi, Christine. How are you? Hi, how are you today, Dave? Better than I deserve. What's up in your world? Um, I'm calling because um, about two years ago we decided to get on your plan and um, in the beginning, we weren't very confident in ourselves, me and my husband. So we had uh, my mother-in-law helping us out with it, and we had decided to open up an account in her name, and all of our income would be deposited into this account, um, but she would help us with, you know, getting on the plan and budgeting and stuff like that. Well... We moved uh, from New Jersey to Pennsylvania, and we've made the decision to buy a house. But the problem is, is when we're trying to get a mortgage and get the ones like Churchill offers, they, um, they will not accept the income from the previous two years because it wasn't out of our bank account. So we're wondering another way we can prove to the banks that we do make the income and we can afford a mortgage and how to get a mortgage. Tax returns. Two years, of, your, two years of your tax returns should do it. Just give them the tax return, but don't they want to see us paying bills on time? Yeah, they'd like to see you having paid your landlord on time. Uh, early or on time, and you could provide a lease that proves that the lease was in your name. Um, I don't know if this is going to work, because you've not been operating as if you have a life. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I'm, I hope you've made the transfer to where you're now managing yeah. your own money. 
Of course, yeah. Because this yeah, was a really are, bad yeah. idea. Okay, yeah. for a lot of reasons, but this is part of the problem with it, you know. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, you may it may be two years, but you may have to establish a, uh, a, a landlord payments record out of a checking account that you own for two years. That may have that may happen. But you can prove you can prove your income with your tax returns. Yes. But we can't prove the payments that we were making to our landlord out of her account. Or anything else for that matter. Exactly. Any other non-traditional credit, for instance, cable company and everything else, because it was all out of her account. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you'll be able to pull that off. Churchill can walk you through it and tell you, but um, I, my guess is is that this has delayed you buying a home uh, on a mortgage anyway, uh, which might not be all bad. You just save up a little more for a down payment and rent something inexpensively. The good news is you got you, you've stopped the mess and it's now in your name and so and you and you can control your your money and your future from this point forward. NRS section 193.165 is an enhancement for use of a deadly weapon during the commission of a felony and it provides for a penalty of up to 20 years if you use a deadly weapon when committing a crime in the state of Nevada. There are some limitations. Uh, It is a consecutive enhancement, which the court must impose. And if you are convicted of this enhancement, the court cannot place you on probation, but the court cannot sentence you for more on the enhancement than the amount of time you receive for the underlying offense. So, for example, if the enhancement provides for up to 20 years and you're convicted of an underlying offense and you receive five years, the most you could get on the consecutive enhancement is an additional five years in state prison. There are a variety of circumstances that the court will consider and how much time to give you for a deadly weapon enhancement, including the circumstances of the underlying crime, your criminal history, the impact that the use of the deadly weapon had on the alleged victim in your case, uh, and any other mitigating factors which the court might reasonably take into consideration in determining an appropriate sentence. What's commonly referred to as rape elsewhere is legally called sexual assault here in the state of Nevada, and it requires sexual penetration, however slight. It does not necessarily have to involve intercourse. It's without the consent of the party or under circumstances in which you reasonably should have known that the person was incapable of consenting. A common example of that would be someone is passed out, drunk, or on drugs, so they're not able to understand what's taking place. Ultimately, the issue of what constitutes penetration is up to a jury to decide. The instruction itself says that any penetration, however slight, is sufficient, but we're often actually debating a trial 
whether a penetration occurred, if it was touching on the outer lips, for example, of the vagina, or if there was a licking, how far, literally, how far in did the tongue go? And these are questions for juries to decide as to whether or not there's actual penetration. If a prosecutor here in Nevada believes that someone tried to sexually assault someone, but there was not penetration, then they could be charged with the crime of attempt sexual assault, which carries slightly less penalties of 2 to 20, as opposed to a possibility of 10 to life if you're convicted for sexual assault. If there's substantial bodily injury, it's life with parole after 25 years or life with no parole at all. Also, for any sexual assault crime, if you are convicted, there will be lifetime sex offender registration. We find that a lot of innocent people get wrongly accused of rape. And this happens really for a number of reasons. First of all, there's a lot of false accusations. A lot of times the accuser will, will make accusations out of anger or jealousy or spite. We've seen situations where a guy was dating a young lady and uh, she wanted to take the relationship further and she wanted to be exclusive and he didn't want to do that and, and wasn't giving her the attention she was seeking. And she felt insulted and she felt hurt and made false accusations out of spite to get him in trouble. And situations like that are actually very common. We also find a lot of times the accuser will make a false accusation of rape uh, in order to get attention. A lot of times the accuser has mental health issues. The accuser is a, a narcissist. Uh, and the accuser likes the idea that they're so desirable that other people are desperate to have sex with them and uh, desperate enough to commit rape. And so they imagine things and they make false accusations to try to create this reality as part of their mental pathology. We see this very commonly. Also, a lot of accusations of rape arise out of a misunderstanding. So it may be a situation where you went out with someone and you guys were making out and there was foreplay and you ultimately had sex with the person. But later the person says, oh, I didn't really want to do it, but I, I was scared to speak up. I was scared to say no. I, it was against my will. But if that person didn't communicate that to you, and based on the circumstances, you honestly and reasonably believed that they were into it and that it was consensual, then that's really not a rape. There are many defenses to sexual assault. And notwithstanding the fact that these charges are very serious and it's very scary if you're charged, in most circumstances we come to learn that there are two sides of the story. And the issue of consent is often very murky. If we can show that our client reasonably believed that the other party was consenting, we can win a not guilty verdict because the state has to prove that the sex occurred without consent. Again, often that's murky. And when it's murky, it's hard for the state to win a conviction. Had like a long way to go before you reached your peak. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I had no clientele. You okay. Know, I had no clientele, and um, it, it took a while. It took maybe six months to build to build trust in the community and to build clientele. So, thousands of these credit cards. You're literally taking these little holograms, and you're physically like placing them on each of these credit each cards one. with your hands, each like one. hand by hand. Yeah, each one. Each credit card. Holy each, shit! Each card's dude. How long does that take? How long does it take to do one card? Oh, I had it down. I could I could print one card in less than five minutes. I could print I could everything. Print, print it. Could, stick everything onto it. Yeah. Well, yeah. See, I would already have all the I would already have all the the templates lined up in Photoshop. Okay. Like ready to go. All my windows open. Bomb, 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 bomb. You know what I mean? And then I would load maybe like ten or fifteen cards in the printer, mm-hmm. and I would be like, okay. Print in sequence. Print one. Print two. Print three. Print four. Print five. So then it would it would run out all the cards. Print them front and back. You know okay. what I mean? It would put the put all. And the, the only thing I really had to do myself was emboss and do the hologram. So I would have to physically place the hologram myself and use a heat press to adhere it to the plastic. Mm-hmm. And then I would have to, to to manually emboss the card myself. And this See, is before I got the auto embosser, where I could just throw them in and do a batch, and it would you know run a fifty or hundred at a time. Damn. Yeah. So when I got down, when I got really efficient at it, I could maybe do a hundred cards in an hour. About an hour, I could print hologram and emboss about a hundred. So cards. you're making close to a hundred, a thousand cards in a day. Yeah. Easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm cranking away, but then, you know, sometimes you have problems. Mm-hmm. The printer starts, gets too hot and starts fucking melting cards and printing mm-hmm. shit sideways, you know. So you've yeah. always got little issues. Right. Yeah, like that you got to deal with. But, yeah, I could do a thousand cards in a day. What's the most cards day? that you did in a day, you think? That I've manufactured in one day? Mm-hmm. I think I've done about 800, six, between six and 800 in wow. one day. You know, on a good day, if everything mm-hmm. was going right and I had mm-hmm. all my equipment operating mm-hmm. properly. Yeah. Okay, so how did you start getting this getting this out there on on online or on these black market on these uh, um, on the dark web and start getting customers to buy shitloads of them? Yeah. So so the initially the first uh, Carter forum that I was on, I went ahead and I just made my first post. Here I am, new vendor. Right. Um, here's my product. You know, you post pictures. It's like a whole, well, it was like a whole thing, not anymore. And then, you know, I would get maybe like one or two orders a month, mm-hmm. you know. And then once those orders came in and like people started leaving positive feedback, it just kind of snowballed after that. And then I remember the day, because I would only get maybe one or two orders, but I remember the day I woke up and I checked, I think I checked one of my emails and I had 15 or 20 20 orders waiting for me and I couldn't believe it. How much per, how much is $1000. One order is $1000. Yeah. For how many cards? Uh 100. 100 cards. Yeah, it's $20 a card, 100 cards, two drivers or you get I'd make IDs for you however many you wanted. And then I would do I think it was like 100 cards embossed, everything encoded, numbers and IDs and IDs. Yeah. Holy shit. But I wouldn't make a hundred IDs. Obviously I'd make like two or three. Okay. You know. Or whatever that whatever they wanted. But it I mean, you know, so there, there was a cap on that. So the IDs have to obviously correspond with the credit cards. Exactly, yeah. 
Yeah. Because say you go to a store and you make a purchase, um, and it's over like three or $400. Uh, like a lot of stores, like people don't realize this, but a lot of stores, like say Best Buy, you go mm-hmm. to Best Buy, if you make a purchase over $300, they ask, physically ask for your card. Mm-hmm. And they physically take your card and they, they go on their POS machine. Now their POS machine, the point of sale service machine, won't let them process the sale unless the four digits on the front of the card match what's actually encoded to the card. Mm. So it's like, a, it's like a security step. So what they do is they take the card and they punch the numbers into the computer because you've already swiped it. So they're going to punch these numbers in. And if these numbers on the front of the card don't match what's being swiped, it's automatic fraud. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to have the corresponding plastic to match the, to match the numbers, and you have to have the ID because they're going to ask for, for ID because, A, I don't have the people's PIN number, so you're not processing it as debit. You always have to process it as credit, even though it's a debit card. Got it. So they have to have ID. When you process anything for credit, they always ask for ID, always, especially if it's a big purchase. Right. You know. Huh. Louis Vuitton, you go to Louis Vuitton and try and buy a $2,000 handbag on a credit card, they're going to ask you for ID. Right, right. 1,000%. Yeah. yeah. You know? Even if you even if you go in there looking the part, they're still mm-hmm. going to ask. They always ask for ID. Right. You know? So you have to have the ID to match the card. Everything mm-hmm. has the jive. The numbers, everything okay. has the to, to be coherent. Okay, so is there a minimum number of cards they had to buy for one order? So is the minimum a hundred car minimum? 100? It was a thousand dollar minimum order. Okay, so it was a hundred cards and each address the thirty five fifty three factors. Uh, I think having both sides know that I'm attuned to that and want advocacy on that is important. Other things that I review are often could be letters. It could be a thumb drive of a video or something that's on that point. And I think what I've told lots of lawyers is that, you know, I travel around the entire Western District of Missouri. Sometimes I'll do eight sentencing in one day in Jeff City and get in the car at five o'clock and drive to somewhere else um, to do more sentencing. To, to keep it on schedule, I need to know ahead of time what I'm dealing with. And I can watch a video that's been produced or, you know, look at a PowerPoint beforehand. And I promise I do it, um, that I'm, it's not just a thumb drive sitting out there. And I can do that and stay on schedule. You mentioned the factors 3553. For those in our audience that aren't familiar with, with those factors, can you elaborate a little bit on what they mean? Yeah, so uh, 18 U.S.C. 3553 is a statute that governs sentencing. And so what every federal judge has to do is, one, properly calculate the sentencing guideline. And then, two, apply the 3553 factors. And so clearly the sentencing guidelines Um, are generic. They have nothing to do with the human that's in front of you. The 3553 factors say, now look at this person like a human, not like a grid on on the back page of the sentencing guidelines. And so the 3553 factors, honestly, there's something for everybody. If a judge wants to sentence somebody harshly, there's a factor for that. If a judge wants to sentence someone leniently, 
there's something for that too. And so you look at the history and characteristics of the defendant. You look at what happened in this particular crime. What's a just punishment? How do you deter? How do you rehab? It's in. It's the. It's the antithesis. It's the opposite of the sentencing guidelines. Now I've got to look at you and your crime and your background and what do you need to end up being a successful citizen of our country. And although a defendant can't change the past, the bad decisions that he may have made that put him in the crosshairs of a prosecutor and in the Department of Justice, what steps have you seen defendants make that have made a favorable impression upon you when you're considering those factors? Yeah, it takes me back to what a former U.S. attorney and who's now a district judge has told me. There's really only two kind of crimes. There's a crime that I'm mad at you, and there's a crime that I'm scared of you. And so I'm going to talk about, hopefully put it in the category, I'm mad at you. You've used drugs. You've run from a cop. You had a gun. As opposed to, I'm scared of you, you produce child pornography. So, um, I think when you, when you look at that, if you're a federal judge and you're sentencing somebody, you want to know that somebody's genuinely remorseful for what they've done. And so, I've had times where, you know, well, judge, I want you to pass along my apologies to somebody. I'm like, I'm not in the business of passing along apologies. You could have done that before. You've already pled guilty. You had 90 days. Um, you could have reached out and had restorative justice all on your own. You don't need me to do it. You don't need me to order it. Um, there are folks who know I'm in charge of my reentry program. And so we have a relapse prevention program there in the reentry program that spells out things that say, here's how I got into this trouble. Here's the things, the factors that lead me to use drugs or lead me to make these bad decisions. Here's the people. And I've had people fill out the relapse prevention plan because they have thought about how they got there the things in their life that got them there and the things they're going to do that they're going to do to improve themselves regardless of what my sentence is. And so coming in and being genuinely remorseful and not just saying I'm sorry to everybody in the courtroom, but knowing who the victims are and, and trying to heal that regardless of my sentence and just truly self-evaluate themselves and figure out how they got in this spot and start making conscious efforts to improve. When you, you spoke about remorse quite a bit there, and I know a lot of times defense attorneys will articulate the remorsefulness of the client. What type of weight do you put on a defense attorney's statement about the defendant's... A lot of people are not aware that prostitution is actually illegal in Clark County, Nevada, here in Las Vegas. 
Uh, and so we see a lot of bad consequences that come from engaging in acts of prostitution here, including uh, facing prosecution for solicitation of prostitution, but we also see worse consequences and we see a crime that's commonly referred to as trick rolling. Uh, a trick roll is really just a robbery and it's codified under NRS section 200.380. Uh, a trick roll uh, could involve a situation where a person thinks they're picking up a prostitute. They think that they're bargaining uh, to exchange in some kind of sexual activity, but the person that they're bargaining with actually has another plan in mind. And that might be to lure them into a hotel room where they might plan to rob them, to strike them over the head, to physically assault them, and to take their property. We also see trick rolls in the form of grand theft person under NRS section 295.270. And a grand theft person is when you take something from someone without force or fear, it might be in a trick roll scenario that instead of smacking you over the head and knocking you unconscious before taking your Rolex watch, uh, a prostitute could slip a Mickey in your drink uh, and wait till you fall asleep. And then you wake up and you find that your wallet is missing, your cash, your chips, your watch are missing. In that case, without force or fear, it could be charged as a grand theft person. The difference between a robbery and a grand theft person is that a robbery subjects an individual to up to 15 years in the state prison, whereas for a grand theft person, the maximum penalty here in the state of Nevada is five years unless the amount taken was over $3,500, in which case the maximum penalty goes up to 10 years in the state prison. Nevada law permits people to keep loaded handguns in their vehicles. Handguns include smaller guns such as revolvers and pistols. Meanwhile, Nevada law does not permit people to drive with loaded rifles or shotguns. People may drive with long guns that have loaded magazines. However, a cartridge may not be in the firing chamber. People without CCWs, which are permits to carry concealed weapons, are not required to keep their guns loaded or unloaded visible in their vehicle unless they are physically carrying the gun. Therefore, carrying a gun concealed in a holster, pocket, or purse is legal only if the person has a CCW permit. Otherwise, it is legal for people with or without CCW permits in Nevada to keep their guns concealed in their glove compartment, trunk, center console, or elsewhere in the vehicle, whether it is visible or not.
If the person does not have a CCW permit, a person may still keep a gun concealed in luggage, a backpack, or other cases in the vehicle as long as he or she is not physically carrying it. If you are facing criminal charges in Nevada, call my legal team at 702 Defense. The attorneys at the Las Vegas Defense Group will do everything to try to get your case resolved as quickly and favorably as possible. Two days. This is what a federal complaint looks like. And this is that case, that Irving Plaza shooting that happened last May with the rapper Troy Ave. And Troy Ave is free on half a million dollars bail. He was charged with gun possession. He's the one that you all saw in that video that NYPD put out and that we put out of running through the club with the gun out shooting or looking like he was shooting. Um, that's Troy Ave. So he was charged with weapons possession. He was also charged with attempted murder. Now come to find out, the feds on yesterday, on Monday, they, oh wait, today's Tuesday, yeah. Um, on Monday, they, I still don't have my whole schedule, uh, you know, back intact yet. But um, on Monday, a hip-hop podcast personality named Tack Stone, his real name is Daryl Campbell, he was picked up at, at his aunt's home on Alabama Avenue in East New York, and, and this was on two gun charges. One gun charge, one of the charges was gun possession for a um, convicted felon, because if you're a convicted felon, you're not allowed to have a handgun. Um, the second second charge was interstate trafficking with the gun because the gun was uh, came from Florida, which was probably stolen at some point along the way. So he was in federal court today, 500 Pearl Street, and the prosecutor in, in this complaint talked about some things that I found very surprising. He said that the prosecutors are saying that Tack Stone, aka Daryl Campbell, that this 9mm semi-automatic uh, Caltech handgun that was used in the shooting that killed uh, Troy Ave's bodyguard, Ronald Banga McFadda, that that handgun, and also wounded Troy Ave and two other people, that that handgun was actually in the possession of Daryl Campbell, a.k.a. Taxstone. So what does that mean? It means that, according to what the prosecutors say, they're saying Taxstone had the gun, that he shot Troy Ave, as he was shooting Troy, aiming at Troy Ave, Troy Ave's bodyguard, Ronald McFadder, tried to jump in and stop him. That's when he ended up getting shot in the chest and died from that wound. Then there were a couple other shots. One hit a, a woman that was there and another went through the floor and hit somebody in the floor below. And then there was a scuffle over the gun. Troy Ave takes the gun Daryl Campbell, a.k.a. Taxstone's gun, takes that gun, and then that's where we see the video that um, so many of us saw, you know, that NYPD released where he's running and he's he's holding out that gun and, the, and then he's running. So what the feds are saying is that eight months later, 
that this gun that ended up in Troyev's car, because Troyev left the club and then went to his his car, and the the gun was found in the car by police, according to what they're telling us, that this gun belonged to Taxstone. So the question you might ask yourself is, if this is the case, why wasn't Taxstone arrested for the murder of Banger? Why wasn't he hit with some kind of attempted murder charges? What they, which is what they usually do when there's a case of a shooting and um you know it, it's it's with a deadly of course a deadly weapon like a gun so those are those are some of the questions but here's what came out in court which i thought was interesting the prosecutor um the assistant assistant district attorney for the uh, feds for the federal federal prosecutors he said that the reason for this long delay, eight months since the incident happened, was because so few people were talking. So that was incredible. That was one thing. Then the other thing that he said was that in the past two months, somebody started to talk. So it seems like they either picked somebody up um, who, you know, they either picked somebody up who... Um, you know, wanted to bargain with them or get a reduced charge or something like that, and that's what happened. And and then the, in terms of the ballistics, this was the interesting thing too. And I wanted to explain this because there were a lot of people having comments on um, asking asking me about this. How was the gun in the Irving Plaza shooting, which Troy Avenue allegedly had in his possession in his car? How does that end up being the gun of Taxstone, a.k.a. Daryl Campbell? So what happened is, according to the federal prosecutors, Taxstone shoots the, his gun at Troyev. Troyev's bodyguard, who ends up being killed, tries to wrestle the gun away. There is a scuffle. Troyev is shot, and then the gun, Troyev picks up the gun and then runs out of that green room and runs out of the club and takes that gun into his car. So that's the narrative that the federal... On this episode of The Lawyer You Know, we talk about how to go from being a lawyer to a judge. Most people know that for some time you have to be a lawyer before you can actually become a judge. And I bring my dad on to explain the process of how a lawyer becomes a judge. He served on judicial nominating commissions in the past. It's a group who does a lot of work in nominating lawyers and evaluating lawyers that potentially could become judges. We've done some podcasts and videos in the past that we'll link below on Supreme Court justice nominees, on the process of becoming a Supreme Court justice. And there are a ton of different judges and judicial positions that come available. So what I want to start out talking about, Dad, is what is the basic requirements for a lawyer to become a judge or even be considered for a judgeship? Well, there are different requirements for different levels of court. We've got four levels of court in Florida. We have the Supreme Court, we have District Courts of Appeal, we have Circuit Courts, we have County Courts. For the Supreme Court, the District Courts of Appeals, it's 10 years as a lawyer. For county courts and circuit courts, it's five years of a lawyer. Uh, of course, they have to be members of the Florida Bar. And they In have Florida. to live, right, and they have to live 
within the area that they're applying for a judgeship. So if it's a Pinellas County judge, they have to live in Pinellas County. If it's a Pinellas County position that's open, a right. judgeship that's open. Okay, so you have to be a lawyer for at least five years for those lower level state courts, and you have to be a lawyer for at least 10 years for the upper level ones. Correct. Okay, anything else, or is it just how long you've been a lawyer, basically? Just how long you've been a lawyer. To be eligible. Right. Now, there are, hey, there are exceptions. If you're in one of those small counties in North Florida where you only have 40,000 people in the county, then you can be just a lawyer and be nominated. So you don't if have to have any experience. Right. Basically. And in fact, years ago, you didn't even have to be a lawyer to be a judge because those counties were so small, sometimes they didn't have a lawyer that lived in the whole county. Okay. But now we're large enough and so we can have this requirement. Okay, so but now you have to be a lawyer. Have to be a lawyer. And in what is the cutoff? Forty thousand people in your county. Right. So if you have more than forty thousand people in your county, you still have to have that five or ten year requirement. Correct. Okay. Do you have to be a lower court judge, like a county court judge or circuit court judge, before you can become an appellate court judge or a supreme court judge? There is no requirement for any. There's no on-the-job training requirement or anything like that. For you to apply to be a judge. Okay, so we've gotten the basic requirements out, the years of experience in being a lawyer. Talk about the process and the different ways that lawyers can become judges because you don't just apply and become a judge, you have to go through different processes. Explain what those are like. There's two ways in Florida to become a judge. One is you're appointed by the governor or two, you're elected by the people. And what we're talking about right now are state court judges. These are strictly state court judges. Okay, so that's important. We're going to differentiate and talk about federal court later, but right now everything we're talking about is state court judges. So there's two ways, appointed by the governor or voted on by the actual county that you're elected in. Right. Okay. The Supreme Court uh, justices and appellate court justices are always, those are always appointed by the governor. It's the circuit court, which we call the trial courts, and the county court. Those are the ones that you can win by election. So the county court and circuit courts that you call the trial court, those are the ones that affect your lives. Those are the ones making the decisions in your cases for the majority of the time. They're the ones in criminal court and civil court that if you file a lawsuit or if you get arrested, your case is going to come before one of those judges that is usually elected by the local county that they're going to represent. So you have a voice, you have an opportunity to vote for local judges, and again, shameless plug, but also for extra explanation, we explain the entire voting process for judges and go through the local judges that get voted on in our county on this podcast that we're gonna link in the comments below. Comment if you have any specific questions about how the local elections are handled and what you should look for in judges, how you should vote, and if you should vote at all. So make sure you either comment below, go listen to our podcast, you can get more info on that because you actually have a chance to have a voice for the judges that are going to affect your lives. So there are also some situations where judges are appointed to those local positions, whether it's a county court judge or circuit court judge, why does that happen? And talk a little bit about how long these judges are in office. 
Well, judges are in the office, I guess, but on the bench. Well, they're elected for six years, and they have to run again every six years. And However, is that across the board? Across County, the board. Circuit, appellate, Supreme Court? Correct. All six years. Okay. All six years. The difference is in the appellate court, the Supreme Court, and the district courts of appeal, those are what's called merit retention votes. So people only vote on right. those judges to say, Terms can be used interchangeably, right? First off, how is murder defined? Murder is the unlawful and malicious killing of another human being. Right? Let's take that into some plain speak. One of the ways that I'm going to talk about that is how the state of Nevada grades murder on degrees. There are two degrees of murder first degree and second degree murder. So what about first degree? What is that? Let's talk about some examples, okay? Example one, purposely shooting another human being resulting in death. Stabbing another human being resulting in death. Poisoning another human being resulting in death. You get it. Right? That's not that complicated. Another type of first degree murder is under a theory of what they call felony murder. What is that? It's basically an unintentional killing that occurs while a defendant is committing a felony. For example, John robs a bank. While he is in the process of fleeing, he is in his getaway car, and Joe, the security guard, comes running after him. John, in his attempt to flee, accidentally runs over Joe. Even though John did not intend to kill Joe, or even run over Joe, it happened during the course of the robbery. John is responsible. Felony murder, first degree murder. What about second degree murder? Unintentional homicide where the defendant behaved in such a reckless way that death was a foreseeable result, right? So let me give you an example. John is shooting targets in his backyard with his high-powered rifle, and when John shoots, the bullet travels into his neighbor's house striking his neighbor dead. John says, I didn't mean to do it. Yeah, but John, you were so reckless. What were you doing shooting a high-powered rifle in your backyard? John is charged, of course, with second-degree murder. Now, how do you defend murder charge? Well, in the first degree murder situation, I would say the best defense other than someone else did it is self-defense. Now, self-defense is one of the most sacred rights we have, and it is necessary to both nations and people. Now, that's right from one of our founders, James Monroe. 
Now, if someone is about to intentionally and immediately cause you substantially bodily harm or is causing you substantial bodily harm, you have every right to kill that person, to defend yourself using deadly force. Now, with regard to second degree murder, it's a little bit trickier, right? We're going to be attacking the elements of recklessness, talking about how the conduct is not reckless and that it should be something less like manslaughter. What about penalties? In a first degree murder situation, the penalties are the most severe. In Nevada, we have the death penalty. So you can be put to death for killing someone. Um, then you have three potential sentences of imprisonment, 20 to 50 years, 20 to life, or life imprisonment. It is also an anomaly in the law where the jury actually gets to choose the sentence for a defendant. The judge is taken out of the hands of the judge. What about second degree murder? Penalties are also severe. Life with the possibility of parole after 10 years or life with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Now, a murder is an extremely serious charge. Now, if you've been charged with murder or you hear that your name is being floated around as a potential suspect in the murder case, don't waste your precious moments. Contact us immediately. There is lots of work to do and there is no time to waste to properly defend your case and your freedom, I can assure you, is worth it. See, mm. I go to a uh, buy and pay here. I go to, I went to all these different dealerships that got multiple cars, knowing that the more cars I have, the more cash flow I'll be able to have, as long as I can manage it. And they don't. So when you when you get your credit ran, you go to the dealership, they run your credit. They see you know whatever you have on your credit right then. That's all they see. Even if you bought a car that day, yeah, yeah, when you see. go to another lot, yes, they only see. They don't see the car you just bought. No. And it doesn't upload for 30 days. No, no. So I leverage that. Shake your hand. You know brilliant. That is brilliant. Okay. <laughs> you are a genius. You're a genius. It, it's opportunity happened like that. So I literally went from um, four, what was it, four cars? Four cars to three to 33. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Off of understanding the leverage of having good credit. For me, credit is credibility. I have good credibility, good payments on time, good um, consistent income, good debt to income ratio, stable household, meaning I'm not moving around all the time. Mm. All the things that a lender is looking for to say, we trust this person with the money. And because he needs his money um, up front, we'll just tax him this little interest rate, right? right? I wasn't worried about the interest rate because again, I'll use this money not what? as a liability, but as an asset. It's gonna bring, bring income for What's me. What's the highest interest rate you've paid? Ever? Ever. It was actually 18%. Ooh, I'll tell you why. Yeah, this was on a, this was at a buy here period. This wasn't oh. a rental car. This was a donation for church. 
Gotcha. So, um, the cars I was looking for, our church was doing construction. We just got a brand new temple in Loganville, amazing. Mm-hmm. And we needed a place. First off, uh, this, this podcast is sponsored by the World Mission Society. <laughs> crazy, man. Come on. No, but we they needed uh, they needed a vehicle to help with the construction. Mm-hmm. So it's either I buy a a cash car or buy a new car, a used car. I didn't want to drop cash on the um, up front for uh, a mm-hmm. truck that I wasn't going to use at all. This was going to be a donation. And I didn't want to buy new, obviously, definitely not. So I bought used. So mm. I had to go to a buy here, pay here to do so. Mm. Because this was after my, my, it was already on my car net. Right. All the cars already hit. Right, right. So now I got a deal. I can't go to get traditional lent car loans. Now I have to go to a buy here, pay here. Right, right, right. And buy here, pay here, they don't care how good your credit score is. They literally even told me. Yo, we've never seen such a good credit score in this building ever in our life. I was like, good. So you're going to give me a good rate, right? I said, no. No, that's not what we do. <laughs> that's how we make our money here. But why couldn't you just go to another place? Like where? I told you, I didn't want a new car. Oh, because this is after your 30-day period. Yes, exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. Those are traditional lenders, so they're not going to look at all these cars and say no. Yeah. My only hope was to buy here pair. They don't care how many cars you got. Gotcha, that's how, gotcha. That's why it's higher risk, and that's why it's 18%. See, I put down, um, so I went to the lot. Crazy. And um, they wanted to, they wanted to give ten percent to my wife because I'm 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 in the midst of uh, building a building and I just don't want anything on my credit right now, so I put it on hers and they wanted to charge her ten percent because we was like yo we don't want to put no money down. It was nine point nine nine percent, but then um, they said well if you put money down it goes down to five point nine nine. You know why? It's because I learned being in this business is if you put money down they see that you have skin in the game. So if you default on the loan, the car note, right? Say the first thirty days, got at least three. Yeah, yeah, they'll at least have three payments in advance. Yeah, and they'll actually make money off of you defaulting on loan. Versus you putting no money down, you have no skin in the game. Right. You left a lot with no money. Right. Higher risk. But you know what? And as I think about it. I should have probably just took the ten percent because it was really only a difference of like an extra hundred dollars a month. So, yeah. so think about it. I think it was like one hundred fifty dollars a month between six percent and ten percent. A lot though, when it comes to cash flow. It is, but so I take the car. I get to keep my three thousand cash, meaning oh, over. It takes 20 months yeah, for me to recruit yeah, that. You fact. feel me? And if I fact. just had it on Turo, that's a fact. I'll make money. Especially, yeah, especially if you're using it for assets, you can use that $3,000 somewhere else. Right. And, and make the money with that. I didn't think about it until right now. Thank you. I'm going to keep shaking my head. Makes, sense. makes okay. sense. Makes sense. <laughs> All right, so, so that's the stretch. First off, we just got the car, so I'm literally... At first, I told her, like, honey, we're going to do maybe, like, two more cars, but I feel like... You go, you go crazy. What should be on the plane? I'm not going to go, go, go crazy. crazy. Three. Don't, don't go crazy. Yeah, I'll get four or five. Yeah. <laughs> yo, actually, yo, uh, Sister Erica, please just text, just text her real quick yo, and say, it might have worked. we've made a decision all together. Okay. Yeah. That's funny. All right, so, so, okay. So, it's this, this is really, really a dope strategy because if you are going to, 
invest in a real estate property, oh my you got to put down 20% of 100000 You got to put down twenty just grand. Just to cash flow 600 Just to make four or $500 a month. Not to knock it. All my boys in real estate, all my mentors in real estate, this is not knocking it at all, but... I guess I, on that side, the, the, actually the property. Yeah, salute to both them brothers. Yes, sir, man, definitely, definitely. But um, A. Marie, Sam, man, A. Marie says um, a Chicago-based R&B singer has been arrested in connection to a shooting at a Buckhead Hotel, and that's in obviously in Atlanta. Said so the shooting happened on December 1st at the Intercontinental Buckhead Hotel on Peachtree Road, according to Atlanta police. According to police report, officer responding to shots fired called at the hotel found a man suffering from a gunshot wound to the head. Officers noted in the report that a victim, a 24-year-old man, was somewhat responsive and responded to questions. He was transported to Grandy Memorial Hospital where he was last listed in critical condition. According to police report, a woman at the scene later identified as singer and songwriter Anna Marie allegedly told an officer that a gun fell off a table in a hotel room which caused the gun to go off hitting the victim. Huh? The arriving officer wrote in a police report that Anne-Marie was screaming hysterically and she had to be removed from the hotel room where the shooting happened. Anne-Marie continued asking officers if the victim was okay or dead, and she reportedly told another officer she and the victim grew up together and they were from Chicago, visiting Atlanta. Atlanta police did not provide any additional details, but Emory was booked at the Fulton County Jail for possession of a firearm and aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. <clears throat> um, yeah, that's the news right now, man. What well, that goes to that? T- that goes to show you. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm never going to believe no authorities or nothing like that. But they, they, if that was the case, I should say. You know, when it did fall off, um, they have, like, experts and stuff like that who can kind of see the trajectory of the gun, how it was shot, you know, because if it fell off, obviously it would have to be at a certain angle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Different things like that as opposed to somebody going like that or going like that. They're going to know. They're going to know. So, you know, it's kind of hard for me to believe. But, again, I don't want to be the, you know, bearer of bad news to nobody nothing like that we still gotta wait and see she may have a um a lawyer team or attorney team that may be able to put the truth on the record and show something different i don't know but <laughs> i go with intuition a lot and you know most of the time hopefully and um i don't know it don't look good <laughs> gunshot wound to the head like <laughs> to the head gonna, and then oh shit they're going to know if that gun fell off or didn't fall off and popped him in the head. And no disrespect. We're not laughing at the family. And not at like all. That. It's no, just no, crazy. Right. It's crazy. No disrespect or nothing like that. Um, condolences to the family. But, I mean, that, dang. I see. It, it was different. You said, all right, he got shot in the stomach. Yeah. Leg. Pelvis. You know what I mean? With the head. How the hell did that happen? His head from the ground. Damn. We ain't no forensic experts, but that's some <laughs> kind of crazy. But we Damn. will find out. I'm not blaming anybody. All this is alleged. Oh, no, there's a yeah, headshot, yeah. gunshot wound ain't alleged. But everything that we're talking about is obviously alleged. One can speculate, but we'll wait and see. Yeah. Hopefully, this woman is telling the truth. Hopefully, that brother survives to tell his truth. And we'll see what happens. Yeah, man, definitely, definitely. In closing, Sam, man, did you see the whole, um, did you see JoJo Capone with Choke, man? 
Oh yeah, you did. <laughs> Hell yeah, I did. Anything. And that's why you gotta wait for the trial. You gotta wait to see Melly's defense. And we'll see what happens. Alright, if he crashed the car. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. a huge difference to saying I he rented the car and crashed it. I gave him permission to drive it, he crashed it. It's covered. And what is the difference? The difference is you were, to them, you weren't using it for commercial use. You know what I'm saying? Is there a, a game of it's covered or not covered? Or. Oh, not for not personal paying? insurance, but for Toro, you want to make sure you did all those pre trip inspections. Gotcha. You don't want to have no, uh, you don't want to have no tire pressure lights on. Right. You don't want to have no engine lights on. None of that. Before you rent your car out, don't be going, oh, yeah, sorry for this trip. No, no, no. Don't do that. That's the time when something's going to happen and they ain't going to cover you. You want to make sure you cover it all the time. That's why I teach it. Because tread death reader, mandatory. 80 plus pictures inside and outside, mandatory. If they come in there and burn your, if you ain't got pictures of your inside of your seats, and I sit in there and go like this, and with a cigarette, and burn it all in your seat, and you don't got pictures of before those cigarette buds was in there, even if I tell them that it was covered, they like, we can't see that in the pictures. They'll show you. I can show you emails. They they can't see it. It's not clear in the preacher photo, so I can't cover it. Sorry. I know it's not the answer you were suspecting, but we hope that we are you're able to salvage it with your personal insurance. Let me know if you need me help with that. That's what they're gonna tell you. I've seen it. So to make sure y'all don't have to see it, that's why I teach this course so y'all don't gotta worry about it. I don't ever get not covered now. Every single time. They'll they'll fix they'll give pay you off for the claim the same day or the next day. They'll send it straight to your PayPal. Wow. I done had a wrap damaged. I'd have my wrap damaged on my I eight on the hood and they gave me three thousand for that. I got that thing rewrapped for seventy. You feel me? So you wanna make sure you win in all situations. And wow. I always win in all situations when it's a uh when it's a high end car. This is the oh I'm about to give you all the game. When it's a high when it's a high end car and it gets into an accident and it's not totaled, that's where we win at. That pays the bills for the year. When I'm talking about Lambo, I-8, uh, awesome. Range Rover. What are we talking about right now? All right, now? so they got what's, it's not in every state, So, but in particularly where we live, Georgia. it's here. Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, depreciation of value claim, it doesn't matter if it's my fault. It don't matter if it's the other driver's fault. They got to they gotta cover it. So how does depreciation of value work? Appreciation of value is basically when somebody gets an accident on a car that's nice, uh, let's say let's say a Lambo gets an accident. If that's on a Carfax, it makes the value go down. They gotta sell it for lower. Right. That amount, amount that you have to sell it for lower has to be paid by the insurance company. Yeah, that's depreciation of value and, and it's lump sum. They give it to you right then. So right after your car is repaired from an accident, from like, is they have a hit and run, somebody tore my front bumper off. That accident is reported to Carfax, right? Mm -hmm. Value down tremendously. Lambo, front end accident. Now, if I give a, do a depreciation of value claim, take it to State Farm and say, look, this is a depreciation of value claim, la, 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 this is how much it'll be worth after trying to sell it. I need that compensation for the in-between money. They're going to send you 25, 30,000 right then. I've done it 80 times now. You feel what I'm saying? <laughs> 80 times. When I tell you, from my first IA accident, I got 17,000. My second IA accident, I got 25,000. You know what I'm saying? Fender bender, baby fender bender, don't matter. If it's going to go to the Carfax, 
I got a dude, my boy, RJ Sweeney. I'm going to plug you, boy. RJ, Rec Check Atlanta. You get what I'm saying? He do my, uh, he, he charged 300. He'll do a packet that's 30 pages long. Send it right to the uh, insurance company. They're going to negotiate with you if it's like State Farm, but everybody else is going to pretty much settle with so, you. At a, so let's, 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 let's say that the car is 150000 It gets in an accident. And now that same $150,000 car is now worth one twenty-five. So you're getting a 30 ball off the top. And if they don't give you 30, you can sit there and negotiate with them and then go to court with them. But you might get more than 30. And, and the crazy part is you're not, it doesn't affect you anyway because they, you're renting it. It's, well, yeah, it doesn't affect you. So this is the, the killer play. So it gets repaired. And I'm trapping it out again, making money from it. Right. Then get a little bonus check for it getting hit. We don't lose in these situations. <laughs> I'm telling you, we don't lose. A lot of people be worried about the insurance. I'll be like, bro, I, that's the funnest part. Once you learn how great insurance is, you know what I'm saying? Again, I'm not telling y'all to lie to your insurance companies. Do not lie. A depreciation of value claim is legal. It is illegal for an insurance company to raise your premium because you did a depreciation of value claim. These are facts. So I don't want you to lie to your church company, but protect yourself, guys. Don't don't give them stuff that they didn't ask. Mm, Answer the questions now and tell them the truth, but mind your words, guys. So, But we don't lose the situation. Normally, if it's a total situation, if you do what I tell you to do about the 80-plus pictures, make sure you got a tread depth reader, make sure there's no engine lights on, they're going to cover you. Tour is going to cover you hands down. Uh, They've changed their little uh, packages as far as insurance. So how, however much you want to give to them, you might got to give them a little more if you want all the perks, like a rental and all that. I don't need rentals. I got 100 cars. We good. So I don't worry about all of that. I'm, I'm taking max risk because I don't give a damn. I'll fit it. Give me the most. So and- you're not on. Now, some huge news has finally come out with the YNW Melly case. And this could actually really help YNW Melly in the long run and could potentially even be let free soon due to this. YNW Melly is still out here battling his court case for his freedom. And honestly, things were looking very concerning for Melly, but now with this new information coming out, it seems as if YNW Melly and his lawyers are now making moves for an early release. Make sure you guys watch until the end, as we have so much to cover. Now, allegedly, YNW Melly has been making some huge moves in his case for an early release. I am pretty sure everybody watching this video has most likely heard that there was this small video clip found of YNW Melly a few years ago basically admitting to doing this act towards his two best friends, YNW Juvie and YNW Sack Chaser. Now in this little video clip found of YNW Melly, he does say this and I quote, There's no regret for the stuff I did for that man to pass. 
and then according to the description of the video, YNW Melly then put a pen to his head as if it was some sort of you-know-what item. You could probably imagine what I'm talking about. Now, you would think that that would be it for YNW Melly. You would think with the courtroom having this alleged video that that would be it for YNW Melly and that he's basically done and over with. Well, YNW Melly, yeah, he practically just snitched on himself in this court case. But surprisingly, that video clip evidence may not be usable against him in court. And this will be absolutely huge if this happens. Now allegedly YNW Melly and his lawyer is trying to make the video of him basically snitching on himself unusable in court as it can be taken out of context and the video could have been used for entertainment purposes to promote his song M On My Mind. One of his biggest, if not his biggest, song ever released. Now, if this does end up working, and they are able to make this little piece of evidence unusable, I do strongly believe YNW Melly will be free soon. And one of the things they're backing this up with is when that little video clip was found, that is actually when that song was released, apparently. Now, this is alleged, and I just want to make sure that's clear, but apparently that's when that song came out when this video clip was recorded. And that video clip could have been used as little entertainment purposes for that song to be promoted on his social medias. Now, the guy that YNW Melly was also locked up with at the time, otherwise known as YNW Borland, has actually already been released. YNW Melly and Bortland were locked up at the same time for this court case. And Bortland is currently out right now. He's actually trying to make a music career for himself at this very moment. And I do believe that the law is holding YNW Melly in lockup due to this one video clip that they found of YNW Melly admitting to doing this. But some even more great news for YNW Melly is that the law enforcement apparently doesn't even exactly have strong evidence on Melly. They don't have the firearm that was used, which means that there is no fingerprints, and there's also no fingerprints of YNW Melly's anywhere near YNW Juvie and YNW Sack Chaser. The only fingerprints of YNW Melly that was found is actually on his own seat in the car of where they were sitting on the day it all happened. And there's actually no witnesses or street cameras that captured or witnessed the incident all going down. So the only thing that the law enforcement has 
currently are these photos that I'm about to share on screen. And this is basically shows the car that they were all driving when this all went down. And I'm going to break it all down for you right now. Make sure you continue watching. So, to go over the evidence, the first few pieces of evidence that will actually make sense is if you know a little bit of the backstory. So, YNW Melly ended up going out for a drive with YNW Juvie, YNW Bortland, and YNW Sack Chaser. The entire team of YNW, it was nothing too out of the ordinary of them all driving together, so that is a pretty good thing. So in this first photo that you can see, it actually shows where everybody was What distinguishes incest from sexual assault is that for sexual assault, the state would have to prove that the sex was non-consensual. But for incest, even consensual sex is considered a crime in the state of Nevada if it's an incestuous relationship. Ostensibly, the state chooses to regulate it as a morality issue and to prevent inbreeding and increased risk of birth defects. A $200 smart car. Of oh, a $200 smart car. You just turn your credit to cash. You're making $1,800 a month <clears throat> off a smart car. Mm. But since we're hearing you, my man, that's, that's, that's turning credit to cash. Sure. But what people don't know, and they say, listen, this is my, my goal is this, is that we in the 21st century. We don't live in the the early 80s and the, the, the early 90s, late 80s, we have such an issue with assets and liabilities. Mm -hmm. I thought it was sitting on your shirt. Okay, so, right, <laughs> is that with assets and liabilities, we're stuck and the only, only realistic liability we have in today's society is our mindset. The way that we can think, the way that we can judge, and the way that we can execute. So, when people look at a vehicle, now I just turn that vehicle, which most people say is a liability, into an asset. So you mean to tell me, they go, oh, you should leasing because cars are depreciating, um, they're depreciating liabilities. Right. But in today's society, we got apps like Turo. Right, right. In today's society, we got things like hire car. In today's society, we got Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta that that movie sets that literally rent cars and pull them on trucks and don't even put miles on them. To where Ooh. now, if you have an exotic vehicle or a nice vehicle, you can make it an actual asset because it generates capital more than it depreciates. So if you know the depreciation calculation of what it's going to depreciate and it makes more than that, this is an asset. Now it's a cash-driven asset. We have to get our mind out the way and start learning how to use technology. We let people sit there and tell us, yeah, we should lease vehicles and do this. Listen, if the vehicle pays for itself and then in the in the time by the time it depreciates to its bottom dollar if it's already paid for itself i now have a car free and clear that if i do get ready to sell it mm. i still can have it has a solid resale value wow you've never seen a rolls royce for under 150,000 i don't care what year you get yeah. ferraris under 150,000 i don't care what year you get 
well, Ferraris are, but Lamborghinis is certain cars that's always going to have a certain amount of value. Well, if you get one at the right year, it's easy to generate the capital off of it. It's just the mindset. See, people will trick us into saying, oh, stay at a position of, of mediocrity and, you know, only invest in, 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 in assets. And you go look and say, well, what's assets? What's the assets? Why is the only thing that considered uh, liabilities things that we like? How can we make... Explain that, explain that, explain that. The things that we like, right? You look at it. People say liabilities, clothes, right? I'm, I jump on a private jet, whole family and Fendi. Go, oh, you know, that's a lot of money to spend on, on clothes, on these designer clothes. I say, well, these clothes last two years, though. Mm-hmm. When you wash the clothes that you went and bought from Walmart because you saved a couple bucks on your outfit, one, it don't look as good, and it right. don't feel as good. For sure. And it, it, it's just reality. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't last as long either. Yeah. It's the reason why Kanye West threw a tantrum and said they won't allow us into their factories because the materials that they use are better than the materials that come on the on the cheaper materials. It's a difference, right? Mm. It's a difference. Got but, it, got it, got it. But then they go, but it's expensive and it is, it's not worth the money. So I teach people, I say, listen, I turn credit to cash. So I run a business and I run ads. I run fifty to $60,000 a month in ads. Mm. I get four points per dollars whenever I run ads. Well, because I'm growing my business, guess so what? You, you get four points per dollar. Yes. What do you mean? On my American Express Gold, they give you four points per dollar when you run ads. So. Also, oh, you run the ads using your American Express card. Boom. Gotcha. Then all of my other business expenses, um, fulfillments, and things like that. So if I'm spending, you know, as my business grows, I'm spending over $100,000 a month. Well, if my business is growing, I'm spending $100,000 a month and I'm getting four points per dollar, guess what? What do you do with your reward points? Most people don't know. I teach people when they start off how not to pay for groceries and your expenses. Keep your expenses low as, as you grow your business. Mm-hmm. But you get to a point to where you start going and you look up and you got three million points and you go, what do I do? Most people don't know that you can literally convert your reward points to gift cards for like Saks and Neiman's and go shopping to where I didn't pay for the clothes and the things that they see us in because I still like designer clothes, but I got it for free. I like that. I like that. I like that. I can live the life that I want and I don't have to be subjected to being irresponsible. I can drive a Rolls Royce and not be, oh man, you buying a depreciating asset, no, it's gonna make me more money than it cost me. Right, I, I gotta ask you though.
Hey, welcome back. Well, I think we're ready to uh, answer some of your questions. Uh, Rachel, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, Nancy, do we have any questions? Oh, yes, Rusty. We do have some oh, questions. Good. And in fact, I'm going to ask you the first question. I'm ready, I, I think. Okay. Under the uh, Sentencing Reform Act, how much good time can an inmate receive towards service of a sentence? Uh, good time. Uh, good time is available only for sentences of over one year, and it's not available for sentences of a year of, of life, uh, which means that if an individual gets a life sentence, uh, since we have no parole in our system, it's a true life sentence. Now, in terms of not being available for a sentence of a year or less, if an individual were to receive uh, a sentence of less than a year or a year, uh, that individual would not be eligible for any good time. And so it's advantageous to the defendant to receive a sentence of, say, a year and a day instead of a one-year sentence. Now, the amount of good time that's available is up to 15 percent, uh, which translates roughly into 54 days for every year of good time that is served. So you serve one year of good time, 54 days comes off the back end. So I wouldn't be happy if I received 11 months as uh, far as the sentence was you concerned? You probably wouldn't be happy if you received anything, Nancy. That's but true. Certainly Side. Now, when we talk about that, I'm saving myself about $8,000 in total amount of taxes for the year, which comes out to be a bit of an advantage for me at that point. Now, I know what you're probably saying now. Okay, well, Don... What's the break-even point for me to move from an LLC as a sole proprietor? What's the difference between me being, where is that breaking point to move from here to S-Corp? And now I want to break down the breaking point because there are a few different breaking points here of when you should move. What's your profit should look like? The main point of when you decide to move is based on what your profit looks like. And there's another factor that I want to talk about, which is your time. In conclusion now, when is it time to break out from an LLC that's taxed as a sole property to move into an S-Corp? What's that net profit that, that we want to get to in order to do that? Well, I gave two examples so we can show this, right? Now, let's say that you're watching this video right now and you're somebody that has a net profit of about $30,000, okay? The net is about 30. So total, if, if, if you were to be paying self-employment tax because you were an LLC tax as an S-Corp, your self-employment tax would be $4,590, right? If you were a sole prop as an LLC. But if you decide to move into an S-Corp and you were only netting $30,000, let's see how that would work out for you. Well, first things first, like we talked about in the last part of the video, we're just going to do a simple 50-50. 50% of that net profit goes towards reasonable salary. The other 50% goes out as a distribution. Well, okay, cool. If we do that, then that means my reasonable salary is $15,000. My distro is fifteen. dollars Remember, I'm only paying self-employment tax on a reasonable salary. I'm bypassing the 15.3% self-employment tax on the distro. Okay? So... Now, at this $15,000 that I'm being, uh, 15,000 I'm being taxed at 15.3%, 
Now that means that my total savings for my self-employment tax is only $2,295. So instead of me paying $4,590 as a sole proprietor, I'm saving now $2,295 by distributing the other $15,000 to me and bypassing self-employment tax, right? So I got a $2,295 savings by moving to S Corp if I was if I netted thirty thousand. That sounds great in theory, yeah, but now let's talk about that $2,295 savings that's supposed to go in your pocket, right? That $2,295 was supposed to go in your pocket and it's supposed to be used for operations to, to be able to market and do different things, right? So it needs to be worth my time to move to an S Corp. Well, at this 30,000, Here's his $2,295 savings. Well, let's talk about it now. Let's say that I, I have state fees that I gotta pay. If you have an S Corp, you gotta pay state fees depending on what state that you're in, depending on the price. If you're in the state of California, man, you gotta pay like about $800 in state fees, right? So when we think about that now, let's say that your state fees are five to 800 bucks to maintain this S Corp every single year. Okay, that's one fee I gotta pay. Let's say that I got I gotta pay my attorney and my CPA. Well, if you got an S Corp, I would always recommend paying your attorney or your CPA or tax professional. Cause guess what? You have to you have to uh, file the right type of tax returns. You gotta make sure that your documents are up to date. Like that's not a game here. So you need to pay. You need to put an attorney and a CPA or tax professional in this mix. Let's say it cost me a total of $2,000 in order to pay my attorneys, CPAs, and different things that I need to year to year to get this up, up, up and going. Because remember, time is most valuable to you. You're not an expert at this stuff, so I wouldn't suggest you to try to figure this out and then get in trouble at a later time. So you need these people. And then the most valuable, well, before we even talk about time, just between state fees and your attorney and your CPA, You've already done spent that entire savings just on this here. You already done spent it. So technically speaking, at a $30,000 net profit, you really didn't even get a savings because you just put the money back into somebody else's pocket. And on top of putting the money back into somebody else's pocket, now you also wasted a lot of your time too, as opposed to moving to an escort instead of keeping it as an LLC tax as a sole prop and kept it very, very simple, right? Had you kept it more simple, you would have had more time to make money. Now that you've added a little bit more complication and complexity to this now, since you're an S Corp, now your time. So now not only did you not get the savings here, on top of that, you just wasted time, and time, mean, time means money when you're an entrepreneur. Now you done lost, you actually lost money by moving over to an S Corp if you only netted 30000 You really kind of almost lost money in a sense, or broke even, but there's no break even when your time is associated with that as an entrepreneur. There is no break even. My time is super valuable. Never pay collections or charge-offs. Did you hear me? Let me say that again. Do you have bad credit and you're trying to fix it? Well, we are not going to be paying any collections or any charge-offs, but we are still going to fix your credit in a major way. I'm going to show you how. Let's go. Noel.
yeah, she can fix that. If you gotta get it done, no, you need to do it better. Well, she can fix that, yeah, she can fix that. Investment to get back, trying to get a big stack. She can fix that, let's fix that. So let's talk about credit because this is so important. I know so many people want great personal credit. I literally started off with very, very bad credit. I'm talking 520 or something score like that. I literally started off like in this credit game and learning about this in my parents' basement, okay? I was a dejected, bankrupt, broke person investing in real estate, doing some wholesaling from my parents' basement and I now have a credit score over 800. So this is very easy to do, and I'm gonna tell you exactly how to do it and share with you some of the mistakes that I made along the way so that you don't make those same mistakes. So when it comes to personal credit, you know that you have three credit bureaus. There's Equifax, there's Experian, and there's TransUnion. And when it comes to personal credit, you have those three bureaus and they will report all of the different debts that you have. So if you have auto loans, or if you have credit cards, if you have student loans, if you have mortgages, those will all report on your personal credit report as trade lines. And depending on how well you pay them, if you pay things on time, how long you've had the accounts, you will have a credit score. In most cases, we call it a FICO score. If you wanna find out what your FICO score is or access that for a very cheap price, I'll make sure to put a link below to my FICO. But the important thing when it comes to personal credit that you need to know is that you can affect your credit score really easily and you do not have to be a victim of the score that they have given you. That was probably the biggest thing. I thought that I had a very low credit score and I literally didn't do anything to fix it until many, many months and years later when I could have just started fixing it immediately. I felt like, well, I have bad credit. I got foreclosures. I got a bankruptcy. I got bad credit. I just have to have bad credit. And I'm sure you probably have those same things, but it is not true at all. You literally can clean up your credit report in a matter of weeks. And I'm going to tell you some secrets on why and how you can get it done without spending any money in the process. So let's talk about what affects your credit score. Like I said, we all have trade lines and all of the different trades and things that people have given you will report on your credit report. But there are different things that affect your credit score and this is very important for you to know. So of course, you have different trade lines. If you have an auto loan, that is considered an installment type of loan. But if you have a credit card, for example, that is considered a revolving type of account because the amount is variable and it is a revolving account. And then you have mortgages. That is a different type of account. A mortgage is a mortgage. It is different from a revolving or an installment account. So you want to have a different mix of the different types of accounts that you have. You want to have a car loan. I know some people are afraid of debt and they don't want any debts and they don't want a car loan. But if you want to have a good personal credit score, you probably should take out a car loan at some point in time. You probably should borrow money and buy a house if you want to have a good credit score. So the bottom line to it is you want to make sure that you know what affects your credit score. And the different types of accounts are one of the things that affects your credit score. The next thing that affects it is how well you pay those trade lines, how well you pay those accounts. Do you pay them late? Do you pay them on time? Do you pay them 30 days late? Do you pay them 60 days late or 90 days late? That's gonna be a big factor in your credit score. 
how much of the credit you use. So again, what type of accounts, how well you pay them, and then what the balance is to the amount that they gave you, the limit. That's gonna affect your credit score. That's called your debt utilization rate. And then you have debt ratio. So credit bureaus, they're very smart now as all this AI, artificial intelligence. They can predict about how much money you make you know, just based on some factors. And so they actually kind of do a simulated debt ratio of how much money they think you make based on how much debt you have on your credit report. And so that will affect your credit score too. So let me give you all the secrets to how you actually maneuver this with this information because I have some good info for you guys. So if you are watching this video, I'm assuming you probably have some bad credit issues, kind of like how I have, where you have some collections or you have some charge-offs. So let me quickly tell you the difference though between a collection and a charge-off. So say for example, you have a credit card. Let's just use Capital One for example because I literally, this was my situation. So I'm just gonna use me. I'm not gonna use anybody else. I had a Capital One credit card, you know, in like 2002 or whatever. They gave it to me when I was like, you know, 21 years old or whatever. And I like did use, I used it. And then when I didn't pay it, they would call me all the time. And then, you know, I didn't have the money. Welcome back to another video within the News TV Daily. Now we have more information about hood rich Pablo Juan. And I want to tell you guys exactly what happened and what the feds are saying is happening with this case. So now the more information that's came out about the Atlanta rapper Hood Rich Pablo Juan. Now according to the official reports in Fox 5 Atlanta, Hood Rich whose real name is Sterling Leroy Penix was arrested with 24 other people as a result of a year-long investigation for gang activity in Georgia. Now, just yesterday, the officials gave more information about the investigation, which was dubbed, quote unquote, a Operation Caged Dover. Now, the investigation started in March of 2019. The investigators found several patterns of racketeering activities as a part of the Rolling 20 Neighborhoods, which is a statewide group and gang in Georgia. Now, the officials considered this to be a criminal enterprise. Now, the group is accused of committing several crimes, including trafficking, theft of money and personal property, plans to hurt inmates, and recruiting additional gang members. Out of the official paperwork, they have 46 people that they're accusing of this, in which all of them are being charged with 92 counts of racketeering, influence corruption operations action with nine counts of violations of the georgia street gang and prevention action three counts of trafficking h meth and four counts of someone passing and result of their operation that also accusing them of 24 counts of aggravated assault and other charges now as of today 25 men including hoodrich pablo juan has been arrested and they're looking for 21 other people they're currently or considered fugitives now according to the governor brian kemp of georgia he says this he says today's announcement highlights why my administration continues to prioritize fighting criminal street gangs and supporting the gbi gang task force my message to gang members out there looking to prey on innocent georgians 
or commit crimes, we're going to keep it simple. He says we will not stop until the community is safe. Now, let's talk about this. Like I said, I felt like Hoovridge Pablo is just associated with this situation. But who knows? Maybe he's really the runner. But I'm going to say he's innocent until proven guilty. But it looks like they're trying to make an example out of this crew. Now, they've been following them for since 2019. And they're not stopping. It looks like they didn't close the case until they had some solid maybe evidence or maybe a witness. Let's talk about this in the comments. But here is the governor saying what he had to say. And here is Hood Rich Pablo being Hood Rich where everybody loves. And this is his live right before he was locked up. This is the last one where he was ever on Instagram Live. He's a, a very organized uh, groups of people that we're going after. They're sophisticated and it takes all of us working together to be able to continue to bring them to justice and to keep our community safe. The governor was there for today's announcement. He has made it his mission to get really tough on gang activity with the institution of that task force that he put in place last year to crack down on the estimated 70,000 gang members in Georgia. It really is the Wild West here in the state of Nevada when it comes to the right to carry firearms. We are an open carry state, which means that anyone who has the lawful right to possess a firearm can openly carry a firearm on their person as long as it's not concealed. There are limitations about certain places that you can't bring a firearm, like, for example, a courthouse. But otherwise, you can carry an open firearm on your person.
We are also a shall issue state when it comes to carrying a concealed weapon, which means that if you take a course and you demonstrate your proficiency with firearms, then the state must issue you a permit to carry a concealed weapon. Starting in 2011, you need a separate permit to carry a semi-automatic firearm, but if you take the course and you demonstrate your proficiency, the state must issue you that permit. Here's I see myself, um, I see myself traveling the world. By yourself? Or traveling the world. Is a joint in the picture? So, can you see it in the picture? Do you see something? You I, see a look, honestly, I'm going to be 1,000. <laughs> <laughs> I want it. I want it. You don't see it in the picture. I want it. And I can't vividly see it. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. But I see myself traveling to find that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I think I will like have Murphy, you know, by five to, to yeah, by five to whoa, by <laughs> <laughs> five to it's ten years grown. though, I should be I should have that, and I should be having a family, and I should be um have had created if not a million millionaires, at least a thousand, and and that have me content because all I really want to do for real, like I want to be of service, man, like. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody want. Everybody want to have a use in this in this world. It's like you can get lost in translation, right? That's real. And I feel like my purpose is to 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 give away everything. I might be broke in ten years. <laughs> I might give, I might give away it all because I understand it's no it's no power in it. So I don't work for money now, right? But it comes to me. It's attracted to me. Mm-hmm. So I want to just give it away <laughs> and then see how it happens. See if I can build it again. I love it. So that's the key. It. I don't know. I'm just. I just hope that I'm traveling and the world is back to normal, and I can go around without a mask every day. Right. Weird, and um, I'm just happy. Good, good. So that's all it's about. That's what's up. Listen, man. I need y'all to go. There will be a link in the um, in the description. Mitch's course, okay. Um, I don't know what it is, but we're going to do 10%. Can we do 10%? Is that cool? 10% off? That's a high percentage. Yeah, 10%. 10%. <laughs> so you got to ask him on camera so they can't say no. It right, right. right. That's a key. See, he's teaching you the skills, man. He's teaching I, you the skills. I want to see y'all. I love y'all. For sure. Okay, so... Um, Enter the code social proof and you will get 10% off Mitch course. Um, and I will see you in the program. Okay. So, um, do they get the course? There's like a community or anything that we gather? Uh, yeah. Well, the only ones who gather in a community with me is uh, my mentee. So I do offer a mentorship program as well. So if you would like that, please, uh, hit me in a DM. Push man, Mitch. I love it. I love it. All right, cool. So, um, please just, Click the link in the description. Use the code social proof. S-O-C-I-A-L-P-R-O-O-F. All one word. Social proof. And you'll get 10% off the course. Mitch, thank you so much, man. For sure. I appreciate you. I just want to also, before we get off here, give you your flowers real quick. My boy, do you see this? Do you see what you're doing right now? Do you see what you're doing for the people too? You know what I just did? What I brought a I brought some millionaire information in front of an audience. 
Bruh. That's what I see that I just did. No, that's what you that's what you're doing. And and I think that's more powerful than anything that I've ever accomplished. I think it's just super dope what you're doing and I know where you came from. Like, bro, you was already lit when I met you. But <laughs> you lit now. So that's dope, bro. I, I can keep doing what you're doing, bro. I really I look up to you, bro, and it's it's awesome. I love you, my brother. Yes, sir. Yes, look, man. Um make sure oh, you gotta close this out with a strong word of wisdom, man. Ooh. Strong um, word. Strong word of Take wisdom. Take us home. Tips with Mitch, real quick. Hey, look, I go live every day, so make sure. Y'all know y'all going to get a whole lot of uh, strong closeouts. So mm. check it out. Always use your social currency, because guess what? Your network is your network. Get it? Not even net worth. Your network is your network. You get it? All right, push me on, Mitch. <laughs> you can't close it out no stronger than that. Listen, man, what? go to the bank. and <laughs> Go like, to the bank. Go to the bank. <laughs> you go straight to the bank, go holler at them, tell them to get you a load, get you a car, get the course. We about to make this thing happen, okay? So I want y'all got I want you guys to go get some social proof, okay? I mean meaning I want you to go build something. Do it in excellence. Succeed at it. But then I want you to go teach somebody else how you did it. Alright? Man, Ooh, I will see y'all. That we was out dope. Here. Peace. Pimping and weapon possession. It was also noted that an alleged witness to the prosecution that agreed to testify against Chief Keefe mysteriously went missing before the upcoming trial. Um, Mr. Chief, do you have anything to do with that? The Chief's next arrest happened on April 8th, 2017 in Miami Beach, Florida. Police claim that while Chief Keefe was driving in a green Lamborghini, his passenger got out in the middle of traffic and started talking to the car behind theirs. Cops saw the commotion and thought they saw an exchange being made between the two suspects. This led to the police pulling over Chief Keefe and ultimately discovering marijuana in one of the vehicles. Keefe was charged with a DUI and was booked into jail moments later. During his sentencing, the cops revealed that they had found eight different drugs in the chief's system at the time of his arrest, all of which included morphine, codeine, promethazine, THC, hydrocodone, norcodine, dihydrocodine, and hydromorphone. Sosa eventually avoided jail and a guilty plea, but was sentenced to six months probation and 50 hours of community service. The final charge was reckless driving. And last but not least, we have the Chief's final arrest in South Dakota. In June of 2017, Chief Keefe was arrested after airport security found marijuana edibles and blunts in his bag. During his hearing the following Friday, Chief Keefe pled no contest to possession of a controlled substance, a Class 5 felony that is punishable with up to five years in prison. He was later released on bond, but was required to come back to South Dakota for his trial. His trial was almost two years later, on April 26, 2019, and the outcome was all in his favor. The judge gave the chief a suspended imposition of a sentence, which means no conviction will be entered as long as he meets the conditions set by a judge. Apparently, a defendant can only receive a suspended imposition of a sentence once in their lifetime in the state of South Dakota. 
When it was all said and done, Chief Keefe was ordered to pay a $500 fine, $104 in court costs, and $99 in testing fees. All the other charges were dropped. If you're wondering what the Chief is up to nowadays, well, it looks like he just sits around in his mansion all day, making music, smoking weed, and playing video games. Once in a while he'll travel around to do some shows, but other than that, he seems to live a pretty chill life, and is staying out of trouble. His last arrest was in June of 2017, so almost two years without an arrest is pretty good. Let's hope he can keep it up. Well, there you have it. All of Chief Keefe's criminal history jammed into one video. If you enjoyed this video, make sure to give it a thumbs up. And if you want to see more content like this, then make sure to hit that subscribe button and turn on all notifications. Also, feel free to comment on who you want to see a criminal history video on next. That's all I have for today. I'm out. I'm Las Vegas criminal defense attorney Michael Becker. In Nevada, misdemeanor cases remain on your record forever unless you get them sealed. If your misdemeanor case gets dismissed, meaning there was no conviction, then you can petition for a record seal right away. But if you were convicted of a misdemeanor, there is a mandatory waiting period before you can become eligible for a record seal. For convictions of a first or second time DUI or a first or second time battery domestic violence, you must wait seven years after the case ends to petition for a seal. For convictions of battery, harassment, stalking, or violation of a restraining order, you must wait two years after the case ends to petition for a seal. And for all other misdemeanor convictions, there is a one-year waiting period after the case ends before you can petition for a record seal. Everyone who is eligible for a record seal is strongly encouraged to pursue it. Once your record is sealed, with few exceptions, the misdemeanor case will no longer appear on background checks. And you can legally deny ever having a criminal record during job interviews or even under oath. Getting a record seal requires a lot of paperwork and can take several months. So if you have a criminal record in Nevada, call my legal team at 702-DEFENSE. Here at the Las Vegas Defense Group, we can take care of the entire process for you. I'm Las Vegas criminal defense attorney Michael Becker. Ever since the 1 October massacre in 2017, when hundreds of innocent people were killed or injured by a lone gunman at the Mandalay Bay, Nevada lawmakers have been reevaluating how the state regulates weapons. Here are five things you need to know about the current state of Nevada firearm laws. One, a background check is now required for nearly all gun sales, including private and gun show sales, unless the purchaser has a CCW permit. Two, you do not need a license or registration to carry firearms openly in Nevada. Three, under NRS 202.350, you do need a CCW permit 
to carry concealed handguns in Nevada. Carrying concealed without a current invalid permit is a felony. Four, there are certain locations where guns are nearly always prohibited, such as schools, child care facilities, and airport secure areas. And five, the only way to get firearms rights restored once they've been lost due to a past felony conviction is through a governor's pardon. If you or a loved one is facing criminal charges in Nevada, call my legal team at 702 Defense for a free consultation. NRS Section 422A defines welfare fraud here in the state of Nevada. And welfare fraud encompasses a wide array of conduct, such as providing false information in relationship to an application for welfare, not disclosing assets or property that you have that may be relevant to the assessment of whether you're entitled to receive welfare benefits, using a false identification in the application process for welfare benefits, not disclosing that children or dependents living in your home are no longer living there when in fact you're receiving benefits. Moving from another state when receiving benefits from one state and not disclosing to the receiving state that you've moved to another state. These are all grounds for prosecution for welfare fraud. And the penalties for welfare fraud can be very severe, resulting in potential prison of up to four years, including restitution. Fortunately, more often than not, when prosecuting welfare fraud-related crimes, the state is most interested in making sure that state agencies receive full restitution for the amounts of monies that have been paid. So, it's very common that we may be able to negotiate a resolution where a, a charge against you is dismissed if you pay restitution in full or if restitution is paid during the investigatory stages, a case never gets filed at all. I could get my brother right here who got good credit, get two on his, don't got to mess up my DTI. I don't got to worry about if I got too many cars in my DTI, thing. debt to income. Debt to income ratio, yeah. I don't got to worry about that. Because my brother, I'm going over here to the left. I'm not going to kill his. I'm going to keep him with two. So in case he want to buy a house, he good. He can get rid of him or do whatever he want. Mm. We ain't got five, six, seven, eight all on the personal, right? So I'm learning the game. You feel me? So I'm like, I'm like, all right, it's joint venture time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Look, I, this is how much I make, guys. Check it out. Look at my Toro platform. <laughs> you see what I'm making? <laughs> Look, I can help you get a little bread. You ain't got to do no work. I'm going to run it. All you gotta do is use your credit, go ahead and get an extra side car. That's if they already got a car. Mm. Some people already got a car and they ain't gotta do none of that. They just give me that. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So they just go get another one. I tell them, I, I'm telling people how to go get the loan, pre-qualify everything. I'm shooting them to the gym. I was shooting the State Farm like it was nothing. State mm. Farm was giving people personal, for personal private sellers. That's so I was, I was so mad when they stopped. Mm. I'm talking about, they would let you go to a dude who got a Lamborghini Huracan for sale for 100 racks, give it to him private sale. They don't give a damn. As long as they got a title. Oh, bro, I was going digital. So 
I'm learning these techniques and I'm doing joint ventures all around the city. So real quick, so the number one question people ask is, um, where are you keeping all these cars? You got five cars at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Where are you keeping them all? So now at this time I had Airbnbs. So I had the place I stayed, the apartment I stayed in, and I had the Airbnb. Mm-hmm. So they had parking decks. I put them in there. Gotcha. And, and then, and then they house. wouldn't even, they wouldn't even, uh, they won't stay there long enough. They was booked too much. Gotcha. So we was <laughs> back and forth. Let me ask you, and, and you've seen both sides. I mean, I mean, from the beginning to like now, was the opportunity bigger before? No. On it was smaller because it was less known. So nobody knew about it. Now everybody know about it, right? It hasn't stopped anything. So I could tell 80 people how to do this and it's still going to be good because like this, I found this out. It's the same thing with the Airbnb. Like I told you, all those dudes had three apiece and it was like 20 of us. We go to the gym to hoop. It's 20. Everybody like, they all sharing, you know, it's networking. Mm. Jesus. They was put laughing at me. I was like, Bro, I gotta get me some Airbnbs. Yeah. So you know, I got. I had at that time. I had one. I got like eight now. But at that time, I only had one, and I flipped it to three quick. But long story short, it was an oversaturation thing where people worry about oversaturation. But it's the same as any business. McDonald's ain't worried about Burger King, bro. For sure, big fan. You know what I'm saying? They're not worried about Wendy's either. Yeah. So they're gonna still eat their people living there. So that's the same thing. So people are always gonna need two things. A place to stay and something to drive. It's guaranteed. When people worry about the pandemic, y'all still getting Instacart, Amazon Prime now, mm-hmm. Uber and Lyft drivers still cranking up. You know why? Because guys like me giving them the cars. <laughs> I love it. I I'm love giving it. them the economy cars, baby. And gotcha. that's the, that's what I really try to teach. So a lot of people see me in the, the Lamborghinis and the race and stuff like that, and they get it twisted. Like, those are not the primary breadwinners. Right, They're so- not. They're so not, we we're gonna get right into that. How many exotic cars do you have? Exotic in my network or did I personally that own? You personally own. Two. 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 Exotic. This is over a hundred and fifty thousand dollar car. Lamborghini Rafe. You know what the crazy thing is? So but I see you in all these cars, bro. Right. See, that's the joint venture thing. I'm talking about that I personally own, not that I personally have that I can drive day to day. Which is even better. Exactly. Isn't it dope? I have the freedom on my credit report to do what I like. Go get me a house. Go get me another car if I want because I didn't overexert my credit report, right? And then I can actually drive these cars for free. And then let them, Not nobody pays for them. I don't pay for them. The owner don't pay for them. The customers do. That's the dope thing about mm. it. So we ain't tripping. And and it you, it makes your brand go crazy because you pulling up in these vehicles right. and they're like, yo, who is this guy? Right, right. And that was really um, the reason that um, that I initially jumped in. It wasn't an income play, but I was talking to my wife like, I feel like I need to go to that next level. For sure, I need, I need to pull up in something. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I don't need a, it's I the, hate, it's the, but it's the number one business card. Number one business Number card. Number one business card. I swear it's better than any business card you ever had. They be talking to me. They come up to me, ask me what I do all day and night. Everywhere I go. You see what's outside. Mm-hmm. Big body Rafe. Yeah. When I drive that joint, when I tell you, uh, what do you do, sir? And then <laughs> anything I do is taken 100% seriously. Exactly. I change it up all the time. I'm like, I'm a teacher. 
What do you teach? I teach people how to get money. You know I what I mean? It. I might say I'm our own rental car agency. I might say I, I run a chain of Airbnbs. I can say whatever I want. It's taken 100% seriously. Mm-hmm. And that's what I teach too, how to use your car as a business card. It's definitely the, Is that in the course? It's in the course. Oh, it's a, I, I, tell, course. I, te- I teach these under business strategy. So if you want to, you literally can get a car only for that purpose. You know what I'm saying? To just to use it as a business card, because yeah. I teach how to get the cars. So if you want to learn how to drive a Lamborghini or a Rafe, I can tell you how to get financing for it. Rape is defined as having non-consensual intercourse with another person accomplished by means of force or threats. Intercourse is defined as any penetration, no matter how slight. Now, when we think of rape, we typically think of a situation where you hold a gun to somebody's head or you literally force them down to the ground and force them to submit to sex. And certainly that is an example of rape. But rape can also be charged in a situation where you have sex with somebody who's unconscious. So suppose you go on a date with a, with a woman and you bring her back to your place and you guys are making out and, and you guys are drunk and, and she passes out. And uh, once she passes out drunk, you take her clothes off and have sex with her, you can be charged with rape because she was not awake and alert and able to give consent. And we see many people charged with rape in just that situation. Now, rape is a felony. If you're convicted, you could face up to eight years in state prison more if you have a prior record or if there's injury caused to the victim. And it would make you a registered sex offender for life. So the consequences of being convicted of rape are really devastating. That said, we find that a lot of innocent people get wrongly accused of rape. And this happens really for a number of reasons. First of all, there's a lot of false accusations. A lot of times the accuser will will make accusations out of anger or jealousy or spite. We've seen situations where a guy was dating a young lady and uh, she wanted to take the relationship further and she wanted to be exclusive and he didn't want to do that and, and wasn't giving her the attention she was seeking. And she felt insulted and she felt hurt and made false accusations out of spite to get him in trouble. And situations like that are actually very common. We also find a lot of times the accuser will make a false accusation of rape uh, in order to get attention. A lot of times the accuser has mental health issues. The accuser is a a narcissist. Uh, And the accuser likes the idea that they're so desirable that other people are desperate to have sex with them and uh, desperate enough to commit rape. And and so they imagine things and they make false accusations to try to create this reality as part of their mental pathology. We see this uh, very commonly. Also, a lot of accusations of rape arise out of a misunderstanding. So it may be a situation where you went out with someone and you guys were making out and there was foreplay and you ultimately had sex with the person. But later the person says, 
oh, I didn't really want to do it, but I, I was scared to speak up. I was scared to say no. I, it, it was against my will. But if that person didn't communicate that to you, and based on the circumstances, you honestly and reasonably believe that they were into it and that it was consensual, then that's really not a rape. Here at Shouse Law Group, we've had a great deal of success over the years in defending clients who were falsely accused of rape and date rape. We had a case recently where a young man was accused of raping a young lady that he was dating. And the family came to me right after the accusation was made and even before charges were filed. And I was able to go to the DA before the DA filed charges and say, listen, just wait on this a week. Let me do an investigation. And I sent my investigator to look at the background of this young lady who made the accusation. And we found a restraining order a couple years earlier that she had gotten on a previous boyfriend. And we got the declaration and we looked at it and she made an accusation of rape against this other person that was almost identical to what she was accusing my client of doing. And I brought this to the DA and I said, look, this, this, this young lady is a serial victim. She accuses all her boyfriends of the same thing. And when the DA looked at that, she decided not to file any charges. So this case really underscores the critical importance of doing an independent investigation and being proactive anytime there's an accusation uh, of rape or sexual assault against one of our clients. If you or a loved one is in a situation like this where you're being accused of rape, investigated for rape, charged with rape, we invite you to contact us here at Shouse Law Group. The sooner we get involved, the sooner we investigate, the sooner we work up the defense, the more effective we can be. Remorse. I don't want to say zero, but I'm up there at about one and two percent. Um, most of the time I'm paying that defense lawyer, whether they're a public defender or CJA attorney. I expect them to do that. Uh, what is much more meaningful to me, and I believe most of the other judges that I know, is if you believe that that defendant is truly remorseful and given some thought about it. Um, and it's one of those things, it's just like if your kid throws a baseball through your window and you say, I'm sorry, that's one thing. If the kid throws a baseball through the window and is busy cleaning it up, and doesn't try to blame it on Bobby next door as a contributing somebody, but I'm fixing it and I really know what I've done here and I've thought about it and I can see how it's affecting you and others. Um, that's really meaningful and you can usually see it. I mean, not that federal judges have some special power to tell if somebody's saying BS or not, but there's a speech that I think every public defender gives every defendant. And if you repeat that speech, that's not real meaningful. Um, but you can tell when somebody's given some thought that, hey, I realize that I've hurt somebody else. And that somebody else may be my kid, maybe my wife, maybe somebody else. 
here's how I understand that I have damaged somebody else in this process. And even if they're just selling some small quantity of drugs to feed their own habit, they've damaged other members of society and caused hurt to someone else's family. And so recognizing your actions go beyond yourself and you saying you're sorry is a lot more meaningful than the public defender or CJA attorney saying you're sorry. And in your experience, how, how frequently do you see defendants really invest the time and the energy to communicate that remorse to you? Is that something that you see a lot of, or is that something that you would like to see more of? I'd like to see more of it. I mean, to answer your initial question, I mean, I can probably count on one hand. I've been on the bench about three years. Um, I can count on one hand where I, I was genuinely moved by somebody's apology. They really recognized it, not just a check mark of the box. I'm supposed to say I'm sorry. I'm supposed to say this, and I'm supposed to say this, but a true introspection and thinking about how they got there, um, I think is pretty valuable. It's valuable for all of us, right? I mean, it's what they taught you in Sunday school, thinking about how to, how did my actions affect others? And not just say I'm sorry, but to, to go about trying to remedy that. Um, and, you know, a lot of times we talk about in some cases and some jurisdictions to have restorative justice type programs and try to put people together to heal that, that divide. Um, you don't need an order to do that. You just need a pen and a piece of paper and it to be genuine. And I think most humans have the capacity to forgive and to move on. Sometimes defendants talk, talk to us about saying that their, their defense attorneys do not want them to talk in court. And if that's the case, would, would you have any guidance for a defendant whose defense attorney is saying, I don't want you to prepare this lengthy statement of remorse? for appeal reasons or for something else. Sometimes the defendant really wants to express that, but on advice of counsel, he doesn't do it. Do you have any guidance for somebody who faces that dilemma? Yeah, I think first one, really ask why. You know, try to figure out what that is. Sometimes um, I, wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want a defendant talking either. And it has nothing to do with an appeal. It's because that person isn't remorseful and hasn't given some thought and feels like they're the victim um, and hasn't owned up to their situation. Well, that could hurt you. you know, that, that could really hurt a defendant to go in. So it may be the criminal defense lawyer saying, you're not in a state of mind that will be advantageous in your sentencing. If it's for an appeal pur purpose, that's something a whole other avenue and you don't want to mess up an appeal, but at least in my district, we're close to 95% guilty plea rates. So we have very few trials, and that doesn't come up a whole lot. So that, that's an outlier. So I, I really 
would want to ask why I'd like to do this. I've heard it can be effective in my case. Is there something that I'm doing that makes it not advantageous for me to stand up? credit cards than any other product in the history of the world. And it worked. You all have one or two or 22. It worked. Don't you feel stupid? Don't you feel manipulated? Don't you feel used? You should you're a slave. The borrower is slave to the lender. So don't improve your credit score. Have a goal of having everything paid off and every account closed. And then somewhere around six months later, your credit score will be fabulously indeterminable. Zero. How would I get a house? How would I get a house? Well, two possibilities then. You'd have to get a mortgage with someone that doesn't use a credit score to issue a mortgage, which is a mortgage company who actually knows how to write mortgages the old-fashioned way. It's called manual underwriting, like Churchill Mortgage does. Or you'd have to save up and pay cash. You do that knowing you pay cash for a house. You just tell people not to buy houses. You're just unrealistic. Dave Ramsey is unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah, I am. And I live that way. I live in an unrealistic world where I've become unrealistically wealthy managing money God's ways. It works every time. So you have to be like that young couple I ran into. He was an engineer and she's a teacher. Just talked to him the other day. They're young. They're making a lot of money for a young couple, so they're unusual, granted. But they're making right around 100. And they're, you know, 24 years old when they started. They had no doubt. And they decided they were not going to borrow money for a house. So they lived in an apartment, a garage apartment, out back of a rich old lady's house. He cut the rich old lady's grass and kept her gutters cleaned out, and the rent was almost free because of that. Their friends made fun of them. Their parents thought they needed counseling. But they made 100 and their rent was $250 a month in a nice city in a nice neighborhood. But it's a garage apartment out top of the, over the top of a garage out back of a lady's house. It was not, it was not fabulous. And you know what they did? They saved. Almost. Well, I mean, they, I think they saved right at $50,000 a year for four years. And they paid cash for a $200,000 house when they were 28. But everybody made fun of them. Now, if you're making, by then, $125,000 a year and you're 28 or 30 years old and you never have a house payment the rest of your life, do you know how rich you're going to be? See why you don't need a FICO score? Hello, are you starting to catch on to these numbers? This is real. So don't improve your FICO score. Set out to destroy it as quickly as possible 
by being 100% debt-free with all accounts closed as soon as you possibly can. So, kind of countercultural, isn't it? Well, the Bible says that. It says, be not conformed to this world. Don't be like everybody else, but be transformed. How are you transformed? The renewing of your mind. You need ideas that are different than everybody else's ideas. Normal is broke. 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. The foreclosure rate is at an all-time high. The bankruptcy rate is at an all-time high. And the number one cause of divorce in America today is money fights and money problems. Do you want to be normal? Normal sucks. Why would you want to be normal? Whatever everybody else is doing, you want to do exactly the opposite, don't you? Otherwise, you're going to be just like them. If you do what they do, you're going to be just like them. So go run up your FICO score if you want to be broke your whole life. Go worry about your I love debt score if you want to be broke your whole life. You'll be broke. Mathematically. It's a proven freaking fact. Or you can be different than everyone else. Be weird. Don't be normal. Mm, That's what winning is. Photos out there that people will find on the internet and they know exactly how old the participants are. And once they, they uh, find you in possession of those materials, they can date it with precision. Other times, it's simply a matter of looking at the photographs and forming an assessment. Does this person appear to be uh, underage? And sometimes you're looking at the development of the, of the subjects in the picture. You're looking at, you know, whether there's, there's, uh, you know, pubic hair, for example. And it could be that they have an expert witness testify and give age approximations, or ultimately that would be a a question for a jury. So the jury would, would take a look at the images. And if the jury felt beyond a reasonable doubt that the participant was underage, uh, then they would find a conviction. More often than not, if age was ambiguous, the prosecutor might choose not to file. But but when, when we see these cases prosecuted, most of the time, when you look at the images, it's very clear that you're dealing with minors. So, Mike, let's say you have a situation, and I'm sure this is not uncommon, where the cops go to somebody's house, they seize a bunch of images on a computer of child pornography, there's five or six people that live there and you know they have a suspect who they think it belongs to but they can't prove what do they do to try to 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 coax an admission from that person or 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 really nail the one individual they suspect in almost every scenario what they do is they in essence threaten to arrest everybody unless the person who it belongs to steps forward And remarkably, in almost every scenario, the person who it belongs to steps forward and says it's mine uh, in order to protect others from being arrested. Mm -hmm. But what's important to know is this. One, it's an idle threat. I've never seen a situation where the police actually arrested everyone in a home where Mm -hmm. child pornography was found. Two... You don't need to incriminate yourself. You have Fifth Amendment rights, the right against self-incrimination. There's no need to to make an admission. In fact, uh, you shouldn't make an admission. 
um, you should uh, assert your rights and you should take the fifth. And That's As a general matter, I mean, anytime you're suspected of a crime, you should never talk to the police without a lawyer, right? That is and, correct. And this is certainly, you know, one example where you, you never should. That is correct. I would note also that we've also seen situations where somebody stepped forward and said, the pornography is mine, even when, in fact, it wasn't, mm -hmm. but they may have had elderly parents, for example, and they didn't want to see their parents getting arrested. Mm -hmm. So they make a false confession mm -hmm. regarding the possession of child pornography to avoid seeing others get arrested. So Take the rap for someone else. That's right. Now, in terms of defenses, what about search and seizure? I mean, if the police suspect that someone is downloading images of, of naked children, do they have a right to sort of uh, raid their house and seize their computers and go through their personal files, or, or does that violate their privacy? An individual has the right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure in their home. And what that means is that the police just can't come to your house and come, you know, storming in and seize your computer, except in two circumstances. One, where the police have a search warrant signed by a judge. And of course, if the police come to your house with a warrant, you should allow them to act in furtherance of the warrant. But if they come to your house without a warrant and they say, hey, um, we would like to take a look at your computers, may we do so? Absolutely, an individual has the right to deny consent, and as a and and as an attorney, a defense attorney, I would absolutely absolutely advise people not to give consent to search. If the police come to your home to search and ask you for your consent for consent, what you should do is you should call a defense attorney right away, not give consent. So, so let's say that the police do violate someone's right and they don't have a warrant or the warrant is defective and, and they go and seize their computer and seize images of child porn. Uh, is it possible to get cases like that thrown out because the police violated their rights? Absolutely. Uh, defense counsel would file a motion to suppress the evidence and if they could convince a court that the evidence was obtained unlawfully, the judge would be bound to throw the evidence out, and ultimately dismiss the case. And that would be a best-case scenario, obviously, for the client. Absolutely. So, Mike, I guess the take-home uh, for, for our viewers is this, that someone who gets arrested for this crime, you know, often is very demoralized and embarrassed and humiliated and, and, and has this sense, like, my life is over. But, but that's not always the case. I mean, a, a good criminal defense lawyer here in Nevada can do a lot to help someone charged with this. In terms I want to introduce you to a well-educated man who went to prison. We're going to hear about why he went to prison and what he did while he was in prison. David, thanks so much for being on the program. Tell us a little bit about your background before we get into your prison experience. Thank you, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Uh, I was a practicing and licensed attorney in the state of Illinois for almost 15 years prior to becoming a uh, management member of a, of a startup biotech company in the Chicago area. Uh, and uh, that ultimately led me to prison uh, where I was convicted uh, 
in uh, the early 2000s of a white collar crime of uh, wire and mail fraud. Uh, Let, let's I, talk about that for a second because people might have some level of, you know, that, that doesn't seem congruent. You're, a, you're an attorney. Uh, you later became a CEO and that you found yet, and yet you found yourself in the crosshairs of prosecutors. Tell us a little bit about what it felt like to learn that the Department of Justice was targeting you for prosecution. The case ultimately began as a uh, Securities and Exchange Commission civil case, and there was a referral, as I understood it, made to the uh, U.S. Uh, Attorney's Office in, in the Northern District of Illinois. It How was long very did that take? You found out that there was a SEC investigation, and was there actually a finding in the Securities and Exchange Commission investigation? No, actually, that began, the SEC investigation began uh, in early 2002, uh, and uh, the SEC uh, ultimately did not uh, come to a conclusion in that case until after the criminal case was resolved. It was actually put on hold during the pendency of the criminal case. So the so, cases were going simultaneously. First, there was a Securities correct. Exchange Commission case, then that was put on hold and the DOJ picked it up. Is that right? That's correct. And when you found out that you were a target of, of uh, criminal charges, what did you do? Did you, did you agree to cooperate or did you go to trial or, or did you plead guilty? What did you do? Well, when I first found out I was a target was during a, uh, a raid of our corporate facilities. And I wasn't told I was a target, but it was basically a common sense conclusion. I hired an attorney at that time, and uh, the case ultimately was not prosecuted, or the initiation of the prosecution didn't begin for another two to three years. So there was a, a long period of time that I remained the CEO of the company and chairman of the board, but then ultimately I relinquished those positions. Others came involved. And, and Tell us about that. That's, that's interesting. So you... There, the the Department of Justice raided your facility. Then there was a two or three year period before you were charged. Is that what I understood you to say? That's correct. And were you operating uh, in the capacity as if this was going to be, you were going to be exonerated from that raid? Or were you concerned that there could possibly be criminal implications? I was quite concerned there was likely to be criminal uh, repercussions. The problem was that if the company shut its doors at that point, there certainly would have been, in my view, criminal repercussions. So I continued as I was. So you continued, and then ultimately they returned an indictment. Did they arrest you, or did they just serve you? I was not. I was never arrested. Uh, I had counsel at that point who the U.S. attorney was familiar with. So I, uh, I, uh, I just, it was a uh, no cash, uh, self-recognizance bond scenario where I simply appeared for my arraignment. And you appeared for your arraignment and then how did it ultimately end up with regard to the adjudication of that case? Did you plead guilty or did you go to trial? I ultimately pled guilty approximately two years later. What was the cost of litigating that case. Do you recall, David? Um, I believe it was uh, $25,000. So not a tremendous amount of legal, ex legal fees at that time. 
Um, were you happy with the representation you received? Yes. And you ultimately agreed to plead guilty to a sentence of how long? 14 years. Well, was... let, me, let me backtrack. I did not agree to a, a fixed term of incarceration. Um, we simply agreed to plead guilty without a determination or agreement on the loss figure, which is the large driver of the sentence ultimately in these mail fraud, wire fraud cases, uh, my responsibility for a particular loss figure. So because that was left open, I didn't agree to a, uh, an, an amount of years. That was what were you anticipating with regard to a sentence when you agreed to take the plea agreement? Uh, in the area of 10 years. It was, uh, I was told by my counsels at that point, because I also had sentencing, uh, a specialist in sentencing at that point, that they were confident that I would be able to get to a minimum security camp initially. That did not occur. So you thought that you would get 10 years. Had you not gone, had you not accepted the next court, they're talking about self-employment tax which I'll be talking about in a second, self-employment tax. As an S-Corp, you can start to bypass some of those self-employment taxes to save yourself some money and keep it in your pocket. And that's what we'll be talking about here in this next step. All right, now we're down to the fun part. Let's break down an LLC that's taxed as a sole proprietorship, LLC taxed as an S-Corp, and really showing you the numbers from a tax standpoint, right? And then we'll get into when is it actually worth your time to be elected to be taxed as an S-Corp because there is a breaking point of when it's worth your time, right? Because me as an entrepreneur, taxes, let's just take taxes away from this. There's, 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 a, there's a, t a cost of time, right? As entrepreneurs, we, we have time that, that we need to make money, marketing, et cetera, right? And then on top of that, we're paying for attorneys and we're paying for tax, tax professionals or CPAs. Or if we have to pay state fees for our S-Corp, then there's a certain amount of time that's involved to do all of these things, which means that it needs to be worth my time to save that money by electing to be taxed as an S-Corp, which we'll talk about in that next part after that. But let's break this down here um, of why an S-Corp can be an advantage to those that are netting a certain amount of money. So I, I'm, I'm going to compare both here. So you'll see LLC taxes and S-Sole uh, Prop and the LLC taxes and S-Corp. And we're going to talk about both here. So again, we still got Prince Donnell LLC. Y'all know that he, Prince Donnell LLC, I do marketing, TikTok, YouTube, all types of stuff, right? And um, like I talked about in the last example, same example here, made $150,000 in revenue, right? Um, 50,000 in expenses, I netted 100K. Now, my LLC is taxes and S-Corp over here, same thing, 150,000 in revenue, 50,000 in expenses, and then I netted 100K. Same examples here on both sides, on both both sides of the tax. Now remember, as an LLT tax is a uh, sole prop, remember, you're paying so, uh, self-employment tax on the entire net of the 100K, okay? Self-employment tax, uh, Medicare, Social Security, 15.3%. You're paying $15,300, a bill that you gotta pay to the government, right? And then remember, let's say that my taxable income, when uh, when that money passes through to my personal tax return, 
Let's say that my taxable income is $80,000. Well, now with my taxable income at $80,000, I got to pay federal taxes, state taxes, local taxes. I'm here in Philadelphia and other there's other taxes that could be involved as well. So let's just assume that I'm paying about 25% between federal, state, local, and other tax. Then that, let's say it's 20 grand that I got to cut out to the government as well. Well, okay, that means total between self-employment tax and my federal, state, local, and other taxes, I'm paying about $36,000 for that year in taxes. That's about 3000 a month, like we talked about in the last part of the video. That's a lot of money, okay? And I could think of like 50 different ways I could use this money right here, okay? So that's, that's being taxed as sole proprietor. You're not getting any savings here on the sole proprietor side. No savings, right? But again, like I told you on the earlier part of the video, that's okay if you're just starting out and you may not be making a lot of profitability. Remember, this is on netting 100K. If you only net in 15, 20K, 30K, then slow your roll for a second and I'll talk about that. You're still, you're still gearing yourself up, okay? Now, let's talk about the LLC taxes and S Corp with the same example where I netted 100,000. Here's the difference with the S Corp and where the tax savings comes into play that you've heard all over the internet. With that 100,000, now remember on the sole prop side, I'm paying self-employment tax on the entire 100,000. Here's the difference with the S Corp. The difference with the S Corp is that I am able to control how this, this $100,000 is paid, okay? Now, I have two ways that I can pay out this $100,000 in net income that my business made. The first way that I can pay it out is through a reasonable salary, and the second way I can pay that out is through a distribution. Let's talk about both, right? Now, I'm, I'm sure that y'all know that when you're an LLC as a uh, sole proprietor, you're not you're not, you're not paying a salary as an LLC to sole, sole prop. There's no salary involved, right? You just write yourself a check, but you don't. there's no payroll system for you as the actual business owner of the LLC to sole prop. When your tax is an S Corp, you actually become an employee now of the company, of your own company. You're an employee. You have to pay yourself a reasonable salary now, which I would suggest going to a payroll service in order to do that. Please do that, because if you don't, and you just write it yourself, now you're going to have other tax situations in the future. Go with a payroll service, uh, run your reason, run your salary through there, so that they can already take the tax. It's not uncommon at these types of festivals, like Burning Man and the Electric Daisy Carnival, that in order to get narcotics into the venue, that one person in a large group will volunteer to carry substances that are gonna be used by everybody. So you've got like a fall guy situation where maybe an individual is bringing in drugs that they're intending only to be for personal use, but because they have a certain quantity, it may look to law enforcement like they're possessing narcotics to sale. When in fact, they're merely being the one that stood up and said, I'll bring these items into the venue. So ultimately, 
Prosecutors are certainly aware of what's going down at these festivals. As a matter of fact, prosecutors were young once too and like to have a good time. If you've been arrested at EDC or Burning Man, the chances are you've probably never been arrested before. And you probably think, oh my God, my life and my future are going to be destroyed. That's simply not true. Call us at 702 Defense. In most situations, these cases can be resolved in a way that will ensure that you don't have to pay a lifetime consequence because you just wanted to come to Nevada to have a good time. There are only four ways police can search your vehicle after a routine traffic stop. Number one, if you give consent. Number two, if there's probable cause. Number three, if they have a search warrant. And number four, if there is a search incident to a lawful arrest. Both the Nevada Supreme Court and the United States Supreme Court have recently said that law enforcement officers cannot prolong your detention for the purpose of conducting some type of search. They must cite the driver and let the driver on their way. We see a lot of circumstances here in the state of Nevada where law enforcement will stop a vehicle on a highway and they will delay writing the citation in order to have a dog come and sniff the vehicle to see if there are drugs inside the vehicle. The courts have made clear that law enforcement cannot prolong the process for that purpose. So if the officer that pulls you over delays the writing of the citation in order to await the arrival of a canine to do a dog sniff, that's not okay. And you have a valid motion to suppress evidence and have your case dismissed. If you've been arrested after a search of your vehicle, it's always important to have your attorney thoroughly analyze whether that search was lawful and explore ways to file a motion to dismiss, to have the evidence thrown out, suppressed, and see to it that your case gets dismissed. A $200 smart car. Of oh, a $200 smart car. You just turn your credit to cash. You making 1800 bucks a month <clears throat> off a smart car. Mm. But since we hearing you, my man, that's, 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 Turning credit to cash. Sure. But what people don't know and they say, listen, this is my, my goal is this, is that we in the 21st century, we don't live in the, the early 80s and the, the, the early 90s, late 80s. We have such an issue with assets and liabilities. Mm -hmm. I thought it said on your shirt. Okay, so, right, <laughs> is that with assets and liabilities, we're stuck and the only, only realistic liability we have in today's society is our mindset. The way that we can think, the way that we can judge, and the way that we can execute. So when people look at a vehicle, now I just turn that vehicle, which most people say is a liability, into an asset. So you mean to tell me, they go, oh, you should leasing because cars are depreciating, um, they're depreciating liabilities. But in today's society, we got apps like Turo. Right, right. In today's society, we got things like Hire Car. In today's society, we got Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta that 
that movie sets that literally rent cars and pull them on trucks and don't even put miles on them. To where Ooh. now, if you have an exotic vehicle or a nice vehicle, you can make it an actual asset because it generates capital more than it depreciates. So if you know the depreciation calculation of what it's going to depreciate and it makes more than that, this is an asset. Now it's a cash-driven asset. We have to get our mind out the way and start learning how to use technology. We let people sit there and tell us, yeah, we should lease vehicles and do this. Listen, if the vehicle pays for itself and then in the in the time by the time it depreciates to its bottom dollar if it's already paid for itself i now have a car free and clear that if i do get ready to sell it mm. i still can have it has a solid resale value wow you've never seen a rolls royce for under 150,000 i don't care what year you get wow. ferraris under 150,000 i don't care what year you get well, Ferraris are, but Lamborghinis is certain cars that's always going to have a certain amount of value. Well, if you get one at the right year, it's easy to generate the capital off of it. It's just a mindset. See, people will trick us into saying, oh, stay out of position of, of mediocrity and, you know, only invest in, 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 in assets. And you go look and say, well, what's assets? What's the assets? Why is the only thing that considered uh, liabilities things that we like? How can we make... Explain that, explain that, explain that. The things that we like, right? You look at it. People say liabilities, clothes, right? I'm, I jump on a private jet, whole family and Fendi. Go, oh, you know, that's a lot of money to spend on, on clothes, on these designer clothes. I say, well, these clothes last two years, though. Mm-hmm. When you wash the clothes that you went and bought from Walmart because you saved a, a couple bucks on your outfit, one, it don't look as good, and it right. don't feel as good. For sure. And it, it, it's just reality. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't last as long either. Yeah. It's the reason why Kanye West threw a tantrum and said they won't allow us into their factories because the materials that they use are better than the materials that come on the on the cheaper materials it's a difference right mm. it's a difference got but, it got it got it but then they go but it's expensive and it is it's not worth the money so i teach people i say listen i turn credit to cash so i run a business and i run ads i run 50 to 60 thousand dollars a month in ads mm. I get four points per dollars whenever I run ads. Well, because I'm growing my business, guess so what? You, you get four points per dollar. Yes. What do you mean? On my American Express Gold, they give you four points per dollar when you run ads. So. Also, oh, you run the ads using your American Express card. Boom. Gotcha. Then all of my other business expenses, um, fulfillments, and things like that. So if I'm spending, you know, as my business grows, I'm spending over $100,000 a month. Well, if my business is growing, I'm spending $100,000 a month and I'm getting four points per dollar, guess what? What do you do with your reward points? Most people don't know. I teach people when they start off how not to pay for groceries and your expenses. Keep your expenses low as, as you grow your business. Mm-hmm. But you get to a point to where you start going and you look up and you got three million points and you go, what do I do? Most people don't know that you can literally convert your reward points to gift cards for like Saks and Neiman's and go shopping to where I didn't pay for the clothes and the things that they see us in. 
because I mm. still like designer clothes, but I got it for free. I like that. I like that. I like I that. I can live the life that I want, and I don't have to be subjected to being irresponsible. I can drive a Rolls Royce and not be, oh, man, you buying a depreciating asset. No, it's going to make me more money than it cost me. Right. I, I got to ask you, though. They wanted the lab. They, they, they oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We want the lab. We want the lab. And, um, <laughs> so, I mean, this next part's going to fucking kind of sound kind of bad on my part. Would you snitch? Oh, for sure I did. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going back to prison. Right. I'm not going back to prison. Okay? Listen. Fuck these motherfuckers. Motherfuckers. Fuck these motherfuckers. You know what I mean? That's right. my attitude. Right. I'm not going back to prison for these motherfuckers that I don't even know. Right. You know what I mean? So they're like, we want the lab. We want the lab. I'm like, all right. So this dude's the mastermind, I told him. You know what I mean? This dude's the fucking mastermind. I threw Buddy under the bus. I'm sorry, Buddy. <laughs> if you ever watch this, I'm fucking sorry. His name's Buddy? No, his name's not Buddy. Oh, okay. I'm fucking sorry, dude. I apologize. But I wasn't going back to prison. I apologize. Yeah, my bad. Um, who was the... who? It wasn't the Secret Service, though, that grabbed you. It was no, the, this was the Miami Financial Crimes Unit. So it hadn't... I was like, is this federal? That's the first thing I asked him. I was like, is this federal? He's like, no, it's not federal. I was like, okay, now I got some wiggle room. Then I knew I had some wiggle room. You know what I mean? Because if it's federal, you're fucking, you're done. They're just going to indict you, and then you can cooperate. And, and you're still going to prison. You're still going to prison. Yeah, so if it was federal, I was gonna be like, you know what? Let's go right now. Right. Because it would have done me no good to fucking to do anything. But it was it was local, so I knew I had some wiggle room. Mm. You know, you can, you, can, you can work with them. So I gave him the dude's fucking address, and then the dude fucking calls me while they're there. All this is happening. This this was just they just just the wrong fucking day, dude. Yeah. The wrong day. The dude calls me because we were waiting on the embosser to come in, and I was because the lab was at his house. Because I was like, that's what I told the dude. He was like, dude, I'm not setting all this shit up. I got my fucking probation officer comes over here. Right. She's going to come in here and see what ask me questions about all this equipment. I'm not even supposed to have a fucking laptop. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Fuck. Right. So we had all this shit set up at his house. He calls me while they're there. I had to put it on a fucking speakerphone. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's talking to me. And he's like, you know, did it show up? I'm like, yeah, it's here. He's like, uh, come drop it off now. I'm like, ah, I can't really do that. And they're like, they're both like, oh, fuck. I'm like, all right, where you want to meet at? So he's had me meet, meet him at this fucking, uh, I don't remember what it was, like a Publix or something like that. And he's like, oh, we got we to gotta mic you up. We got to mic you up. I'm like, what the fuck are we talking about? Like, Listen, I'm not wearing a wire, man. What the fuck are you guys talking about? You know what I mean? Like, He's like, no, 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 it's not like the movies. You know what I mean? They brought me like a fucking pager. And the pager was like a listening device. It was like a microphone. <clears throat> And I had to fucking wear it in my pocket when I went and dropped the fucking the thing off to him. Yeah. So I drive. So I meet the dude at Publix. I drop the fucking. Um. I drop. This is this whole story is wild. I drop the fucking. I drop the um the thing off with him. I wear the fucking listening device once again, dude. I'm sorry. I wear the fucking listening device. You know what I mean? I'm fucking such a piece of shit for this, dude. I, I I'm hundred percent. But I'm not going back to prison. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Fuck that. I'm not going back to prison. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it is what, it is what it is, dude. I'm sorry. So, um, 
Yeah, I had to wear the listening device on Buddy, and then fucking... Meet at Publix. Meet at Publix. I dropped it off. I met with him. Uh, I drove somewhere, and then one of the one of the two dudes that were there met me there. They followed um, him to his house, and then called in fucking reinforcements, and they fucking raided his house and found all the equipment. Everything. Mm. They found all the equipment. So he was like, um, he's like, all right. He's like, you can go. The dude at the thing, he's like, you can go. I was like, all right. He lets you walk. He let me walk. But he's like, we'll be in contact with you. And he's like, you know, we have to, we have to report this to your probation officer. We have to. It's by law. We have to. Right. So I was like, well, all right, fuck. I'm on, I'm running. You know what I mean? Because now I got. I got a little while you, to get to my back to my fucking apartment, pack a bag, and get the fuck out of Dodge. You know what you're I mean? You're going to get a probation violation. 1,000% yeah, I'm going to get a probation violation. You're definitely going to go back to yeah. prison. Yeah. So even if, the state says, even if the state says, we won't, okay, we're not going to charge them. I was federal engaging would be in like, illegal activity, which is clearly a fucking yeah. violation of the rules yeah. of my fucking conduct, my probation. Mm. You know? Yeah. Doesn't matter clearly if Clearly they don't want not. me fucking printing credit cards, you know what I mean, yeah. in my apartment. Or attempting or... Hand, they can, they can, yeah. they're gonna, they're gonna violate you for any, something like that. They're gonna violate you for anything, right. yeah. anything. Yeah. So I take off. I go back to my 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 little apartment I had. Um, and at this time, I we hadn't even started making any money yet. At this time, like I was still fucking working at the warehouse. I still really didn't have shit. I mean, I had a little bit of money because I was doing. Um, we were making cards, so I was going out and doing a little bit of store carding, and shit. You know what I mean? Just to have a few dollars here and there. Mm -hmm. I was was doing bad, dude. I was doing fucking bad. I went went up to the used car lot at the end end of the street and got a fucking old uh, 2003 Cadillac fucking uh, 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 DHS or some shit like that. I mean, it was fucked. It wasn't, you know, my former glory, but I was trying to get back to my former glory. You know what I mean? You ever see that fucking movie Kingpin? Typically speaking, um, if, if a case is dismissed altogether, it can be, uh, we can start or initiate a record seal right away. If the person was convicted on a misdemeanor, typically there's a period of two years where you have to wait before you can get the record sealed. If it's a DUI or domestic violence charge, it's seven years. And on felony charges, it can be longer but you can still obtain a record seal, even for felonies and gross misdemeanors in the state of Nevada. I'm attorney Michael Becker of the Las Vegas Defense Group. If you've been arrested in Las Vegas or anywhere in the state of Nevada, call us at 702 Defense. We'd be happy to talk to you about your case. Having been a prosecutor for five years and a criminal defense attorney for more than 10 years, All the time, I see cases where people find themselves suffering immigration consequences for a criminal conviction that they were not expecting. Situations where they go to court and their attorney says, hey, I got you a great deal. You're going to get time served. You're going to get out today. No jail time. Just you sign these plea documents. It's it's a terrific deal. And, and, And they go through with it. They plead guilty, they plead no contest, and then a year later, sometimes five years later, sometimes ten years later, they find themselves in removal proceedings about to be deported from the United States. 
or they find that they leave the United States and they're not able to re-enter, or they're not able to naturalize and become a citizen of the U.S. So to the extent that you are not a citizen of the United States and you've been charged with a crime, you want to get an attorney who understands not only criminal law, but immigration law as well, and can resolve the case in a way that not only gets you a good result in court, but that is not going to trigger immigration consequences. Under NRS section 574.070, it is illegal to run, train, sell, or watch an animal fight. For dog fighting, uh, it's a category D felony with a penalty of up to four years for a first time offense if you're running a dog fight. For a second time offense, you're looking at up to five years in state prison and a $10,000 fine. And for a third time offense, for dog fighting, you're looking at a category B felony with up to six years in state prison. I'll put you on the spot to see if you're interested. Well, I know what you, you guys did a great thing in Atlanta. And we had we had a special event that we did. Uh, shout out to Trap. He was in town. Shout out to MG the Mortgage Guy. Shout out to everybody that joined us. We was on we was uptown in Dykeman. And um, over 400 families got turkeys, gift cards, uh, Disneyland trip, TV. Shout out to my man Ken from Dykeman. He said he he never seen anything like that since the government cheese days. Like the line, was, <laughs> the line was literally like five blocks down. So I say that to say, you know, obviously there's a lot of people in need these days all across the country. Yeah. So maybe when COVID clears up a little bit, we can plan something real big, a give back, a home and away. We can come to Atlanta and y'all can come to New York. Yeah. If you're interested. Nah, 100%. I'm in. You want to know what's, so, what's, what's crazy? Is that word, word, word to my mother. Right? <laughs> um, I've been in New York for a few days. <laughs> listen, yeah, right? No, but listen, right? Um, I, I, hands down, we did the gas station giveaway. The, the night we did the gas station giveaway, y'all announced that y'all was doing the Dykeman thing. Mm -hmm. I'm laying in the bed with my wife. I called Neo and I said, yo, Neo, let's go to New York. I said, yo, EYL, Trapper, they got a thing they doing with Dykeman tomorrow. Let's go to New York. Alex had to close on his house. Mm -hmm. And I go, um, Alex said he couldn't go. He had to do something. He couldn't take off. Neil had to go and get his daughter. Okay. Literally was coming. I was like, yo, let's jump on a flight and <laughs> yeah, come. Yeah. And, and, we, and, and, and we was going to pop out here. I swear it was going to pop out. Um, my thing is like, look, I got to be involved in the community in every way. So now yeah. I'm with that 100%. Yeah. And after we did it, um, shout out to uh, Brandon. I see you was with him the other night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. like, yo, bro, we gotta do it. We gotta do something big for New York. So, yeah, yeah shout out to PTG. Oh, good, good acts always inspire other yeah, good yeah, acts. Yeah. It's, it's like competitive competition to do good. And I think as entrepreneurs, it's like, you know, we 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 can, you know, um, show nice things, and that's great. We gotta encourage people that way. But I think we also gotta encourage people 
you know, whatever it, whatever it is, because it, it might be $5 that someone, it might be a smile. You never know how you can, <clears throat> what you do can affect somebody else to do something good. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you might give away $40,000, somebody might not be in a position to do that, but they might be in a position to just help a lady across the street. Mm -hmm. Snowball. Right? You know what I'm saying? Just give a kid $2 and not even say, yo, keep the candy. I don't even want the candy, just take $2. Like, you know what I'm saying? So... We need more of that because we're that's all we really have is our is each other. You know, and we we got an amazing unit and it's just dope. You just brought up Brandon. Um and it's crazy being in New York, seeing all the love. But it was another thing that um I wanted from New York. Right? Being here, seeing love, I rock with New York. Y'all got something here that's different from everywhere else. <laughs> right? And that's that's hove. Like and, and Rock Nation, oh. one of my goals was to get signed as a management deal to get Met Rock Nation to actually manage my company to help that take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. And so that's like being in New York, too, feeling that. I'm like, when you just brought it up, I'm like, so many people here, but we don't think about who manages the entrepreneurs and gives that outlet. Yeah. Nobody, no A-list company or celebrities really have edified the education in the black community yet uh, and it's it's crazy not only is it powerful and impactful we see it but then the money that's circulating through the community is crazy so now nah, that's one of the things Shout I out to Hope. it just Shout so happens that we got Rock Nation. Huh? <laughs> we got the American Gangster album we got the black album <laughs> you know yeah, to, that's fate Rock Nation, man. Shout, shout out to the good folks at We got Rock a lot Nation. of friends actually. Yeah, we got Rock some people Nation. over there. Um, shout out to everybody in Rock Nation for sure. Yeah, uh, good people over there. People that we know for sure, good people. All right. Um, so, how can the people contact you? How's your what's your social media handles? What's your website? Um, all that information. At him five hundred on Instagram. At him five hundred on YouTube. At him five hundred everywhere um on twitter as well recession proof extreme is the website um to just check out the things that i offer uh, my program wise is recession proof extreme also you can visit me on instagram at him 500 click the link in my bio or if you want more content and just learn more about financial literacy take a take a scroll through my page i got a ton of uh videos where i just teach and just get information away for free yeah shout out to sherry bryant um, president of Rock Nation, who is a loyal supporter of Earn Your Leisure, a good friend of ours. I just um, yeah, we got to see warm for her. Yeah, see is warm for her. Whenever, whenever you're ready, <laughs> Sherry. I, 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 I sent my congratulations to Snow Allegra. Hopefully, they got sent to her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> shout out to Sherry. Shout out to Sherry for sure. Troy, housekeeping items? Yeah, shout out to everybody on Patreon.com. Y'all know that's how proud to pay program, man. It is, uh, it is growing. NRS section 193.1675 regulates hate crimes here in the state of Nevada. Fortunately, we don't see many prosecutions for violation of hate crimes. In essence, hate crimes have to do with crimes that are motivated based on animus towards someone based upon their race, their faith, their sexual orientation, 
uh, a disability. Uh, an example might be uh, if someone were to, to go to a synagogue, for example, and to uh, spray paint uh, swastika, that would be uh, a form of hate crime involving trespass or nuisance or vandalism. The way our statute works here in the state of Nevada is it's not a separate crime to engage in conduct relating to uh, animus towards uh, someone based upon uh, these factors, but it's an enhancement so that a crime that otherwise might be a misdemeanor could be upgraded to a gross misdemeanor or a crime that would be a gross misdemeanor could be upgraded to a felony. Or if there was a murder that was motivated by uh, racial, ethnic, religious, sexual animus, that could be a factor that a jury could consider in deciding whether or not to impose the death penalty. Will sealing my criminal record in Nevada restore my gun rights? Getting a criminal record seal in Nevada does not restore the person's gun rights. The only thing that restores a person's right to own and possess a firearm in Nevada is a governor's pardon. Not all Nevada pardons restore gun rights. So when people apply for a pardon, they have to be sure to check the box on the pardon application indicating that they want to get their gun rights back. If a person has their gun rights restored under a Nevada pardon, federal authorities cannot later use the pardon conviction to prosecute him or her for unlawful possession of a firearm under federal law. But some states are stricter than the feds and do not allow people to have guns in their states even if they were pardoned in Nevada. So always research a state's gun laws before traveling to another state. Pardons are very rarely granted in Nevada. To increase the odds of success, people are advised to hire an attorney familiar with the pardon process to write their application and appear at their hearing. If you are facing criminal charges in Nevada, call my legal team at 702 Defense. The attorneys at the Las Vegas Defense Group will do everything to try to get your case resolved as quickly and favorably as possible. Evictions and convictions. At that point, when I realized that CoreLogic is the company that verifies evictions and convictions, I knew I said, listen, you mean to tell me that I can fix somebody's credit, but they still get the denial? Well, if I opt out of CoreLogic, if you got an eviction, you still can get the approval. If um, you got a conviction, you can get the approval because I never gave them permission to share that data and that information. So now when you go to get an apartment now, right, somebody who's in a position, they go, listen, well, I can help people get apartments. So if you understand how to clean your credit and opt out of the secondary bureaus, you opt out of 
CoreLogics, now you can go and get an approval for an apartment. Because mm. that's a big thing that holds people from getting apartments is there. Yep. So essentially like this, I'll break down the whole blueprint. This is what you're going to do is that you're going to opt out and, and suppress your CoreLogics, um, LexisNexis, SageStream, ARS, Innovis. You're going to suppress all of those. Once you suppress those, now you're going to force the credit bureaus to do an investigation with a 609 letter. So you use a 609 dispute letter. When you send that 609 dispute letter in, it's going to make them either verify that this account is accurate and verify that it belongs to you. Well, now, since they don't have anybody to check the accuracies with, they're going to now have to do an investigation. Most likely, most of the things, 60 to 70 times, 60 to 70% of the negative items get removed because you already removed the, the, the middleman company who's verifying everything. So now once you do that, when you go to apply for apartments, you now can go and apply. And if you've ever been evicted, it's not going to show up because you suppress uh, core logics. And if you got a felony on your background, it's not going to show up because you've um, suppressed the core logic company. But like, how do you suppress it? Like, you have yeah. to. Anyway, what's the time length on the suppression? Does that happen? So suppress you, you basically what you do is freeze the report and opt out of them report uh showing and they do it indefinitely until you opt back in. So you like call them and say, I want to opt out? Yeah, so you can call them, you could call or you could do it online. Hmm. So if you like Google um uh, like LexisNexis opt out, you can Google it and it'll pop up and take you to the form to actually opt out of that report. Good to know. Did you know that, Troy? I did not know that. I did not know that. <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a lot of things today. We all, we all going to learn together. People don't understand. <laughs> listen, right? In the community, that's one of the dope things is that I tell people, listen, that's a business in itself, right? We don't know about the secondary bureaus. So you mean to tell me, I say, listen, you mean to tell me that there's companies out there that do all this information? I say, well, listen, one company, CoreLogic, gives us a whole business model because if I opt out of that, I can now help people clean their credit. Mm -hmm. That's a service. I can now help you get an apartment. That's a service. I can bundle it together if I want. But listen, I help you get an apartment. Now, what else do I do? If I know I'm helping people get into condos, listen, I'm going to find the newest building that's not fully occupied. And I'm going to send people there. Well, after three or four people going and be like, yo, him 500 sent me in here to get an apartment. They're going to kind of get familiar and be wondering, who's M500? And then I show up with gift cards and trinkets and nice things, and I build the relationship. And I say, hey, listen, now nah, what I do is I'm an apartment specialist. I just help people find apartments and get into the city, especially new condos, things like this, and just ensure that they can get the approval when they come. Have my people been getting approved? Yes. Cool. Boom. Nice to meet you. Set the, set the relationship up. Guess what happens? Now I get a referral fee from the, the leasing agent. Now I send it directly to the leasing agent. She's going to want to get paid for getting people to lease. Well, guess what? Now I get paid for helping people get the apartment from the leasing agent. You've been paid four times already. That's three times. Three times. <laughs> I got paid from the client mm -hmm. for helping them with their credit. Yep. I got paid for helping them get the apartment, making sure everything was approved, make sure they get the approval. Then I get the referral fee from the leasing agent. Okay. Now, 
I'm pretty much responsible for helping everybody get apartments in the city. I become penthouse poppy. Imagine, <laughs> right? Trademark that. Yeah, right, right. Listen, right. Yeah, trademark it, right? <laughs> so I become penthouse poppy. So now I'm I'm in front of all the fly buildings, right? I'm in front of all the fly buildings. I'm I'm in the penthouses and the condos. But what's the biggest thing when it comes to these condos? Furniture. Hmm. Right. So now a lot of people overlook it and don't realize furniture has one of the biggest markups. Right. Furniture's markup is ridiculous. So then I go to the to, to one of the furniture stores, the mom and pop furniture stores in the area. Guess what they do? Financing. You can fund. You can finance furniture. It's true. So now guess what? I go and build a relationship. Listen, what does it take to get ten thousand dollars in furniture? Right. I need a $10,000 approval. Let me see what that credit report need to look like. What does this need to look like, this approval process? Now, when I get people apartments, I'm going to send you to the local furniture store to now even get the furniture. I'm not going to charge. What distinguishes incest from sexual assault is that for sexual assault, the state would have to prove that the sex was non-consensual. But for incest, even consensual sex is considered a crime in the state of Nevada if it's an incestuous relationship. Ostensibly, the state chooses to regulate it as a morality issue and to prevent inbreeding and increased risk of birth defect. They want the lab. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We want the lab. We want the lab. And, um... (laughs) So, I mean, this next part's going to fucking kind of sound kind of bad on my part. Would you snitch? Oh, for sure I did, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going back to prison. Right. I'm not going back to prison. <laughs> okay? Fuck this Listen, fuck these motherfuckers. Motherfuckers. Fuck these motherfuckers. You know what I mean? That's right. my attitude. Right. I'm not going back to prison for these motherfuckers that I don't even know. Right. You know what I mean? So they're like, we want the lab, we want the lab. I'm like, all right. So this dude's the mastermind, I told him. You know what I mean? This dude's the fucking mastermind. I threw Buddy under the bus. I'm sorry, Buddy. <laughs> if you ever watch this, I'm fucking sorry. His name is Buddy? No, his name's not Buddy. Oh, okay. I'm fucking sorry, dude. I apologize. But I wasn't going back to prison. I apologize. Yeah, my bad. Um, who was the, who, it wasn't the Secret Service, though. That grabbed you. It was no, the, this was the Miami Financial Crimes Unit. So it hadn't. I was like, "Is this federal?" That's the first thing I asked him. I was like, "Is this federal?" He's like, "No, it's not federal." I was like, "Okay, now I got some wiggle room." Then I knew I had some wiggle room. You know what I mean? Because if it's federal, you're fucking, you're done. They're just gonna indict you, and then you can cooperate. And, and then you're still you, going to prison. Yeah, 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 you're yeah. you're no still way. going to prison. Yeah. So if it was federal, I was gonna be like, you know what? Let's go right now. Right. Because it would have done me no good to fucking to do anything, but it was it was local. So I knew I had some wiggle room. Mm. You know, you can you can you can work with them. So I gave him the dude's fucking address <clears throat> and then the dude fucking calls me while they're there. All this is happening. This this was just they just just the wrong fucking day, dude. Yeah. The wrong day. The dude calls me because we were waiting on the embosser to come in and I was cuz the lab was at his house. Cuz I was like that's what I told the dude. He was like, "Dude, I'm not setting all this shit up. I got my fucking probation officer comes over here. Right. Right. She's going to come in here and see what, ask me questions about all this equipment. I'm not even supposed to have a fucking laptop. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Fuck. Right. So we had all this shit set up at his house. 
He calls me while they're there. I had to put it on a fucking speakerphone. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's talking to me. And he's like, yo, did it show up? I'm like, yeah, it's here. He's like, uh, come drop it off now. I'm like, ah, I can't really do that. And they're like, they're both like, <laughs> fuck. I'm like, all right, where do you want to meet at? So he's had me meet, meet him at this fucking, uh, I don't remember what it was, like a Publix or something like that. And he's like, oh, we got we to gotta mic you up. We got to mic you up. I'm like, what the fuck are we talking about? Like, Listen, I'm not wearing a wire, man. What the fuck are you guys talking about? You know what I mean? Like. He's like, no, 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 it's not like the movies. You know what I mean? They brought me like a fucking pager. And the pager was like a listening device. It was like a microphone. And I had to fucking wear it in my pocket when I went and dropped the fucking the thing off to him. Yeah. So I drive off. So I meet the dude at Publix. I drop the fucking, um, I drop, this is, this whole story is wild. I drop the fucking, I drop the, um, the thing off with him. I wear the fucking listening device. Once again, dude, I'm sorry. I wear the fucking listening device, you know what I mean? I'm fucking such a piece of shit for this, dude. I, I, I'm 100%, but I'm not going back to prison. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Fuck that. I'm not going back to prison. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I heard it, it is this. what it is, dude. I'm sorry. So, um, yeah, I had to wear the listening device on Buddy and then fucking... Meet at Publix. Meet at Publix. I dropped it off. I met with him. Uh... I drove somewhere, and then one of the one of the two dudes that were there met me there. They followed um, him to his house, and then called in fucking reinforcements, and they fucking raided his house and found all the equipment, everything. Mm. They found all the equipment. So he was like, um, "He's like, all right. He's like, you can go." The dude at the thing, he's like, "You can go." I was like, all right. He lets you walk. He let me walk. But he's like, we'll be in contact with you. And he's like, you know, we have to we have to report this to your probation officer. We have to. It's by law. We have to. Right. So I was like, well, all right, fuck. I'm on I'm running. You know what I mean? Because now I got I got a little while you, to get you, to my back to my fucking apartment, pack a bag, and get the fuck out of Dodge. You know what I mean? You're gonna get a probation violation. One thousand percent. I'm going to get a probation violation. Yeah. So even if the state says, even the state says we won't. Okay, we're not going to charge them. I was engaging in illegal activity, which is clearly a fucking violation of the rules of my fucking conduct, my probation. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Clearly, they don't want me fucking printing credit cards. You know what I mean? Yeah. My apartment or attempting or hand. They can. They can. They're gonna. They're gonna violate for something like that. They're gonna violate you for anything. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. So I take off. I go back to my 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 little apartment I had. Um, and at this time, I we hadn't even started making any money yet. At this time, like I was still fucking working at the warehouse. I still really didn't have shit. I mean, I had a little bit of money because I was doing um we were making cards, so I was going out and doing a little bit of store carding, and shit. You know what I mean? Just to have a few yeah. dollars here and there because mm-hmm. I was I was doing bad, dude. Right, I was right. doing fucking bad. I went. I went up to the used car lot at the end. At the end of the street, and got a fucking old uh, two thousand and three Cadillac, fucking uh, 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 DHS or some shit like that. I mean, it was fucked. It wasn't, you know, my former glory. But I was trying to get back to my former glory. You know, what I mean? you ever see that fucking movie Kingpin? And captured him. They say we have no proof that he was arrested. But they say they arrested him. This guy was able to do all of that 
and he came back with not a hair out of place. He was, able, he was able to be taken in alive. I mean, it's a miracle how they did it because, you know, normally they kill. And they shoot you 70, they shoot you 700 times. Kill, just kill, just over, they overkill. But somehow they managed to have restraint. They figured it out. They preserved life. Nobody got shot. They gave the suspect multiple opportunities to kill them. The suspect even warned them, hey, I'm capable of killing you. I said, I'll kill you. They gave him opportunities to kill him because you know how they say, oh, you got a split second to respond and you got to do what you got to do, you know, because we're trying to make it back home. Well, they actually gave the suspect opportunities to not allow them to make it back home. I mean, they gave him that. And they got through it anyway. It was absolutely incredible to watch them work. I mean, like, man, this is this is textbook police work right here. I mean, this is top-notch academy. Damn. Maybe they can teach the other cops, the white cops specifically, because the black cops don't go around gunning down black folks or any folks. Uh, somehow the black people, the black cops, don't just go around killing unarmed people. Somehow the black cops, maybe the black cops get trained at a different academy. I don't know. It's some, I can't put my hand on it. But the data is not coming back right. What's up, Thomas said? Yeah, the data, it's just, it's something they figured out, man. They, they, they had it right. Uh, kudos to their teachers, their instructors, uh, and them for uh, following, uh, following their training. Like, man, they did that. It was absolutely unbelievable. So we're going to talk about that in about 30 minutes. We're going to talk about that on Willie D. Live channel. You don't want to miss it, fam. I'm going all the way in. All the way in. I'm just getting warmed up right now. I'm just getting warmed up. So 30 minutes, fam. Give me 30 minutes. I'm going to be on the Willie D Live channel. If you're on YouTube right now, I mean, if you're on uh, Facebook, you can click the link in the description and um, it'll take you to the Willie D Live channel on YouTube and you can just uh, click that button and subscribe. Make sure you subscribe. You want to make sure you get all of 
You want to make sure you get all of your um, your notifications. When you when you subscribe, make sure you select all notifications. Otherwise, you may not get any. The only notifications you're going to get from me is when I drop a new video. That's it. I don't send out notifications for nothing else. So click that bell and select all notifications. Otherwise, you may not get any. James, who is this? James Martin. Appreciate you, James Martin. Yeah. So, fam. Get your comments ready. It's about to go down. 30 minutes. It's about to go down on the Willie D Live channel on YouTube, all right? Until then, fam, no more talk. This, I'm getting information from Pop's criminal attorney, and he's in communication with LAPD and the detectives out there. It's definitely way, way closer than it was a couple of months ago. Justice will definitely be served. And, well, Stephen Victor was right. Because in the early morning of July 9th, 2020, the LAPD arrested five suspects on warrants related to Pop Smoke's case. The five suspects were 18-year-old Keandre D. Rogers, 21-year-old Jaquan Murphy, 19-year-old Corey Walker, and two other juveniles whose names were not made public due to them being minors at the time of the arrest. Various media outlets reported that the LAPD solved this case the old-fashioned way by going door-to-door -door interviewing everyday civilians in hopes that they saw or knew any inside information that they've not yet heard. They also went and obtained security camera footage from neighbors and nearby businesses, which played a big role in tracing the suspects back to Hoover Street in South Central Los Angeles. Upon arresting and interrogating the suspects, the LAPD retracted their first theory of this being a targeted hit and changed it to a robbery gone bad. It was also noted that authorities think that the social media posts made by Pop Smoke, revealing the address and expensive purchases, are what inspired the unfortunate events to take place. The LAPD also suspects that those involved in Pop Smoke's case were also involved in another case, dating back to September 14, 2019, which resulted in the death of 18-year-old Cameron Stone at the Rose Bowl parking lot in Pasadena, California. The three adult suspects are currently still in custody and are each being held on a $1 million bail. This is overall an incredibly sad situation. The world lost an extremely talented artist, all because a few criminals thought that they could come up on a successful rapper visiting their city. Pop Smoke was only 20 years old at the time of his passing, and had such a bright future in front of him. 
his posthumous album, Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon, debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, with over 250,000 sales in the first week. This goes to show you how much people adored Pop Smoke and his music. And it's such a shame that his posthumous album will be his first and also his last album. While we'll never get to see what Pop Smoke would have become in the next few years, it's at least nice to see that those who caused his tragedy will be brought to justice and will hopefully spend the rest of their lives behind bars. And I really appreciate the LAPD for all the work they put in to make this happen. If you enjoyed this video explaining how the LAPD solved Pop Smoke's case, then feel free to leave a like down below. Also, if you're interested in seeing more content just like this, press the subscribe button as well as the notification bell to be notified whenever we upload. Also, if anyone has any interesting topics that they would want to see covered on this channel, then comment down below and I'll take a look into them. That's all I have for today. I'm out. In terms of the severity of penalty, possession would be the least serious narcotic offense. Then would come possession for sales of narcotics would be more serious. Then actual sales of narcotics and finally trafficking of narcotics. And in essence, the penalties go up like steps uh, with each level of narcotics possession. Nevada narcotics laws are actually the harshest in the country. And even sale of a small quantity of narcotics can subject an individual to substantial periods of incarceration. As a matter of fact, under the Nevada trafficking law, sale of more than 28 grams of a controlled narcotic can subject an individual to life in prison upon conviction. Uh, although the, the statutes are broken up into uh, possession, uh, possession for sale, sale of narcotics, and trafficking laws, uh, because uh, the amounts in, uh, to be considered trafficking in Nevada are so low, as a matter of fact, four grams or higher can, can constitute trafficking in Nevada. Um, if you're charged for trafficking, you know, you really need to obtain counsel because the penalties are very harsh here. The good news with regard to narcotics laws in the state of Nevada is, although the laws themselves are very harsh, typically prosecuting agencies are fairly reasonable about negotiating resolutions in these cases. For example, um, one case that got a substantial amount of media attention was when Paris Hilton was arrested for possessing cocaine. 
and um, it was originally a felony charge. There was a lot of immediate media attention. Other celebrities and, and certainly a lot of people that aren't famous, you know, going to Nevada, specifically Las Vegas, to, to have a good time, to party, uh, and choose to engage in narcotic activity. Um, most often, although the penalties uh, are severe, um, for a simple possession of narcotics, it's very common to be able to negotiate a resolution that involves a plea to a misdemeanor offense so that uh, a fun time in Las Vegas on the weekend doesn't necessarily turn into a lifetime of uh, difficulty uh, and a, a felony record. I'm attorney Michael Becker with the Las Vegas Defense Group. If you or a loved one has been charged with a criminal offense in Las Vegas or throughout the state of Nevada, trust in me and my legal team to get your case dismissed or otherwise negotiate a resolution that causes minimal harm to you in your future. Chris is in New York City. Hey, Chris, how can we help? Hey, Dave, they can. Uh, great to be on the show. Thanks. How can we help? Yeah, um... Uh, real quick, I just want to give a shout-out to my girlfriend, Maria Jose. She told me to call in. Um, reason I'm calling is because I've got a lot of friends who are buying into cryptocurrency, and, you know, my investments are all in mutual funds like you recommend. Um, and I'm hearing about, you know, Bitcoin dog or Dogecoin and all these other things. And I, I just wanted your thoughts on how to respond when people try to pressure you to invest into this stuff and maybe even get your thoughts on cryptocurrency in general. Okay. I wouldn't do it. Why? Because I think it's still very speculative. We've already seen big highs and big lows, and I think it's still rocky. I do think that crypto is coming to stay. I think right now it's a lot of speculation. And until it gets adopted and we start seeing businesses move that way, I'd, I'd stay on the sidelines. And it's not a part of our investment strategy at Ramsey Solutions either. So there, there's that too, which, Dave, you're far more versed in that well, than they, I am. But know, I it's, had an, it's had an incredible year. Yeah. People made a lot of money out this year, without yeah. a doubt. No question about that. Um, but they make a lot of money on cocaine, too. <laughs> um, right. And they make a lot of money on, uh, you know, playing futures. And they make a lot of money at, at the blackjack table. And they make a lot of money betting football. But these are not investment strategies. That's correct. These are these are uh, things that you can jump into or jump out of that are uh, uber unbelievable high risk mm -hmm. and so the problem is is that people don't perceive the risk in bitcoin and it's there it's 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 a it's not a, it's not fully adopted they made a lot of money this year made a lot of money in gold a few years ago too i'm telling people not to buy gold and all the gold bugs are going dave ramsey's an idiot he doesn't understand no dave ramsey completely understands i've lost my butt in a bunch of high risk investments over the years i quit doing it I don't like having to start over. It's too expensive. So if you want to start over, play crap that's high risk. If you don't want to start over, do what you're doing. But you're not going to convince friends who are making a bunch of money that they're stupid. Just let them be stupid and smile. It's okay. Now here is because of that job. You feel what I'm saying? So because 
my chief, uh, Chief Labot, shout out to him. He actually made us go to mandatory budget meetings, right? Mm. So I never wanted to go. This is my second one. I had to go, and he made us go, like, before going to our shift. So mm. before going home. So we did a whole shift, and afterwards we had to stay to go to the budget meeting. Budget meeting. And what's going on in the budget in meeting? In a budget meeting, it's a guy. He's teaching you about how to budget your money and how to, you know, kind of keep the money coming in and save it and put in the stock market, everything, right? Oh, I so didn't personal know. budget. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he's he's you. a it's a black dude. He pull mm. up, he pull up in that joint. He got the, the icy gold rings. He got his wedding ring is gold. The ring on the other side, gold. Cool looking dude. OG. Yeah. Got a nice little suit on. When he step in, he say, uh, hey, he like, uh, what's going on in the stock market today, guys? And no, nobody raised their hand. He said, if I was in a room for a millionaire, everybody's hand would have been raised. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, he got me. He got me. Like, I ain't want to be there. And I was like, hmm, he got me. I'm, right. t- <laughs> I'm tuning in now. So, you know, it's just like the messenger. Like, we don't, before you know, like, you don't really know, like, it's not the, the message, it's the messenger. Yeah. So, like, I wasn't buying into him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But when he said that, I'm buying in. I'm ready. I'm like, yo, this is... Jay-Z talking now. Right. So he had that swag about himself. So I, I bought in. So long story short, he goes into talking about uh, credit and, you know, how his son, he's buying a house for his son. Like, not buying it for his son. His son is buying a house. He's helping him. Mm. And he's helping him get his first car and all this stuff. And he's just going, to, I'm telling him how, which cars to get. He has the option of anything. And I was like, how do you got all these options? Right. You know, he can just, I, I went to the lot. I was like, what can I get? Like, <laughs> right, you know what right, I mean? Right. So he basically introduced me to the credit game. So what he did was he started saying all these things that I didn't know were possibilities. So when he tells me this, um, I'll just like, I'm vulnerable. I got like a 400 credit score. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I got a 400 credit score, bro. Like I talked to him after I said, I got a 400 credit score. And what do I do to switch up my sweat? Like, how can I start building it? And he was just like, he told me exactly what to do. And when I tell you I did it verbatim, so I'm going to tell you what he told me. He said, he said, um, go ahead and uh, get you a secure credit card. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where you self-guarantee it. And it's going it's gonna probably be $200. Right. He said they're going to guarantee approve you because it's to help you build your credit. Right. And he said, now have that for six months. Make sure you keep it under 30%. Pay it off early. Let it hit and pay it off early. It's going to reflect to your thing that you're using a revolving credit, right? And he said, after six months, they're going to send you an unsecured one. And that's exactly what happened. And they did it. And then they also increased my limit on the secured one. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to find out everything to do with credit because right. my credit shot up crazy. So my credit shot up crazy. I got a credit card. Now. Did he open the door? That's my man. No okay. So yeah, my credit shot up crazy. I go like, all right, dude, this dude, he got me hyped. I'm like, I got to find out everything about credit. So he basically turned me up. Like, so I'm finding out about credit. And now I got all of these abilities to do things. And I'm like, damn, um, I was tripping for years. Like, I should have been doing this. So this, like. How old were you at this point? I was like 25. 25. I'm 31 now. So that's what, before I, right before I jumped into this entrepreneurship swag. Because I was like, all right. Hour, and then I seen, after I, I met this guy, I did what he said. I stayed with him to jail. But then I seen like a Steve Harvey commercial. I know everybody's seen it. When he's talking about, you're never going, if you don't jump, you're never going to be able to fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, when yeah, I tell you that, he spoke right to me. He spoke right to me, bro. So I, I was like, all right, I seen that. And then I just decided to jump. I ain't had no plan. So now my credit is up, right? 
I'm a, I'm like when you say right, jump, you just quit. I the just job. quit the job. I just quit the jail. I'm talking about I was out of there. Like I really? two, I gave him a two week notice. And I ain't had no plan. I lied to him and told him I was gonna go to school just so it sound better, just in case I did have to go back, right? <laughs> so what I was your living situation at this point? I was living uh I was living in an apartment. I was always got I was always good. I was financially literate to a point, but I just didn't know about credit. Right. So I had some money. So according to like people with nine to fives, I was pretty straight. Gotcha. So I never was like, you know, struggling. Which is why anything. you don't have the habits now. Like you don't necessarily um, like you're not the flashy guy. Nah, for you know what? what? I under I understand it. So I always been like, I'm, I'm something wrong with me. That's what it is. <laughs> There's something wrong with me. So look, I never really had vices and stuff. I don't smoke or drink. I never have. I never been drunk. I never been high. Right. Mm. So this also accumulates to women as well. I don't have bad habits giving spending money on women. Yeah. So I was like, bro. So before when I'm watching the Steve Harvey thing, I'm like, why am I not rich? I was like, I don't got nothing holding me back from being rich, bro. Like, why am I not rich? So I, I just, you know, just started invent, like thinking about, like, I can do this. Like, I started believing in myself, which is clearly the, the all you need to do, really, to be For successful. Sure. You believe that you actually can do it. Because we here know so much, we be like, Bro, nah. that's a bar that, that probably just went over most people's heads. Man. Like, what what, like, yo, the core foundation is... The belief that yo, I can, I can make some money. Right. I can, I can be rich. That's it. <clears throat> and once I started believing that, I went out and started going out of full throttle. So I quit. I was like, no plan. I said I'm gonna just drive Uber and Lyft in the meantime. I'm blue, blue. What's up? This your boy, Big Man. You already know what it is, man. So let's get right to it. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about YFN Lucci. Now, YFN Lucci just got into the news lately because of something not related to his other court case. Now, what I mean is he was sued by a rapper, him and PMB Rock to be exact, man. Now, the last time we checked in with YFN Lucci... He had just been released from jail after being charged with murder and a couple of other charges involving a shooting that took place in Atlanta, man. It was a real wild situation, and it's gone kind of quiet, man, because, you know, the folks, they were basically coming for Wyatt and Lucci, and they got him. He was arrested. I did several videos. They dropped a 911 call that led to, the, to his arrest. They also, man... Posted the fact that he was out on bond. It was a whole bunch of stuff going on with YFN Lucci last month. Or even, should I say, the month before that. Now, the last we heard of him, he got out. And now we're going to be talking about this court case. Now, in the court case, it looks like him and PNB Rock were being accused of taking somebody's song for their hit, Every Day We Lit. Now, YFN Lucci... And his camp has yet to say anything about this situation, but PNB rocking them got taken to court, and I'm gonna tell you how it went. Not in their favor. Now, before we get into the specifics, do me a favor: make sure you hit that like button, make sure you hit that subscribe button, and man, let's get it. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about this YFN Lucci PNB Rock court case. Now, to be honest, it was more directed towards PNB Rock. Because in this story, 
it talks about the uh, fact that wife and Lucci might have already made some type of separate agreement for this situation. Now, it doesn't go into any specifics, but this is the case, man. So there's a New Jersey rapper by the name of Rat Boy Cam. Now, Rat Boy Cam was suing PMB Rock and YFN Lucci, and he actually won the lawsuit. Now, the lawsuit was a copyright infringement case, and it was over the song Every Day We Lit. Now, for those of you who don't know, YFN Lucci, man, was on a tear for a while. He had a whole bunch of hit songs that came out, man. And Every Day We Lit was one of them. Now, it was featuring a Philadelphia rapper by the name of PMB Rock. Now, a lot of you might not be, you know, up on game about PMB Rock, even though he's pretty significant in the hip-hop game around that time frame. You know what I mean? He's gone a little quiet since then. But, you know, during that time, he was really, really lit out here, man. No pun intended. Now, in this lawsuit, it was saying that PNB Rock and and the producer June James had stolen from this New Jersey rapper, Rack Boy. Now, Rack Boy had a song called Everything Be Lit. Now, just off the name, you could tell they're similar. Now, when I listened to both songs, I mean, I kind of heard what was familiar between the two, man, you know, the similarities, but it looks like, man, my opinion doesn't matter because a judge, I mean, basically awarded uh, Rack Boy $1.7 million in a judgment, man. Now, this is what it says in a complex article in the news. It basically says this. It says, in 2018 lawsuit, in a 2018 lawsuit, excuse me, Rack Boy argued that the song Every Day We Lit, on which the three aforementioned artists were featured, is deeply similar to his effort, Everything Be Lit. Earlier this month, Rack Boy's lawyer, Christopher W. Nero, secured a significant copyright infringement victory that netted his client over $1.7 million. Since an agreement was already reached with wife and Lucy, like we said earlier, and think it's a game records. The judgment was made against PMB Rock and the song's producer, June James. Now, this gets really interesting because it, the way that they split it up. So basically, in the judgment, they said this. He got... Over $1.4 million in cash, or he was granted $1.4 million in cash, and close to $268,000 in, in prejudgment interest. So a running, and a running royalty, plus cost, and injunction against James and Allen's exploitation of the infringing work. Man, that sounds like they threw the book at PNB Rock in there, man. Because... That, yeah, that counts up to about $1.7 million. But then the running royalty and all that, and interest, man, that's, that's crazy, man. So, dude took to social media, and a lot of people have been talking about this, right? i seen Say Cheese posted earlier. i seen a lot of different news sources posted. I think Complex News is the closest to this situation. But it looks like... A Category E felony in Nevada would include possession of narcotics, a second time charge for peeping, solicitation of a minor for prostitution, or recruitment into a criminal gang. 
most category E felonies would result initially in a sentence of probation, but uh, they could also result in a prison sentence of up to four years in the state prison. For record seal on a category E felony, you are eligible to seek a record seal seven years after completion of your sentence. Most people think of perjury as testifying falsely in a courtroom, but a lot of people don't realize, for example, when you go to the Department of Motor Vehicles and you fill out your application for a driver's license, they ask you a lot of questions. Have you ever had a driver's license before? Have you ever had a driver's license in a different name? We're seeing a lot more prosecutions here in the state of Nevada for perjury in relation to uh, applications for driver's license due to the fact that our state recently has decided, starting in January of 2014, to give driver's license to undocumented aliens. And some of those people may have obtained some kind of ID previously um, under a different name or in a different state and they come and they file for a driver's license in the state of Nevada. They provide a thumbprint or the state uses facial recognition technology to make certain that the applicant for a driver's license has never applied for a driver's license previously in a different name. And we're seeing a lot more of these prosecutions now when they can match someone up as having obtained a driver's license in a false name previous to a recent application. Um, hey, this is Matt Cox and welcome to The Grind. Today I'm gonna talk about uh, something the lot of guys have asked me about, which is uh, basically being on federal, it's federal probation, or I mean, in my case, it's called uh, supervised release. the way it works. Let's say you're convicted of a crime. Um, maybe you go to trial and you, you lose and or maybe you plead guilty because you just can't go to trial. You're just that guilty. The truth is even if you go to even if you're not guilty and you go to go to court, you're you probably got even if you, you could you could be just completely not guilty. You probably still have about a sixty percent chance of being found guilty, Pro maybe even more. So let's say you you end up taking a plea, or you end up um, you end up getting found guilty at sentencing. So when after you've done your time. You, or your sentence, let's put it this way. Once you're sentenced, the judge will say, okay, you're going to get 10 years. But when you're released, you're going to do five years. Basically, prisoners call it um, paper. So 
but it's basically, it's like, it's, they'll call it supervised release. So you're going to get five years supervised release or three years supervised release or whatever your specific judge says you're going to get. And then when you're on paper, there are certain, there's, it's called the judgment and commitment. You're governed by your judgment and commitment, and the person that's in charge of making sure you follow all the rules is your probation officer. So, in my case, I'm currently on what's called supervised release, and which is basically, it's just probation. You have a probation officer, it's just what they call it. Um, so, I'm on federal supervised release, and my judgment commitment says that, it, for instance, in my case, in my case, you know, I have to tell them, like, when I first got off, uh, I had to see a court-ordered um, therapist once, once a week. Uh, I also have to, because I owe restitution, I have... I have an annual uh, financial af uh, financial affidavit that I have to fill out. Uh, every month I have to provide my bank statements for all bank accounts. I'm not allowed to take out new credit of any kind, no new credit cards, new credit lines, nothing like that, not without permission. Um, I have to notify them where I'm going to live. I had, I, for the first year or so, I had to do random, there were random urine tests, even though I don't have a drug case, I had to do random urine tests. So, uh, that lasted for about a year. And I also had to pay restitution because I owed almost $6 million in, in a re restitution because I had a bank fraud case. So, what happens, the way the restitution is paid back is this. My judgment and commitment says that the, the light is changing. It's because I don't have a ring light or anything with me. So, I'm using basically the TV as my light. And there's a commercial, so I'm changing colors. So, I have to pay restitution per my judgment and commitment. And it's always different. It really just depends on what the judge says. And I know guys that owe five, ten million dollars, and the judge says you have to pay ten percent of everything you make um, over to the government to redistribute to your victims. Let's say, assuming you have victims, and in my case, my judge said that I have to pay a hundred and fifty dollars every single month, no matter what. Anything I make over $2,000 a month, I have to pay 25%. So if I make $2,000, I pay $150. If I make $3,000, I have to pay $400. So I have to pay the $150 plus 25% of the extra $1,000. That comes to $400. If I make $4,000 in a month, that means I have to pay the $150 plus 25% of the extra $1,000 or, or plus 25% of the extra $2,000.
So that ends up being $650 I would have to pay every single, every month. And, and they also get to look at my bank statements and my credit report and those sort of things. For, for instance, when I first got out, I was able to buy a vehicle, but I wasn't able to get a, a loan. Um, later, my car was falling apart and I had to go to my probation officer and I had to ask her if I could get a new loan. So they're going to be keeping it longer. So these people that are keeping their cars for three, four, five months. There's cars that I got that I haven't seen in months because they're using it out for either um, Uber driving or they just want the car longer. Some people might say, wait, why don't you just buy the car? Some people have cash flow gaps. They don't have a bunch of income all at one time, but they get paid every now they and then. They want a nice car, but they can't show the bank that That's they reason. make this type of money. That's another reason. They got they can't no proof got of income. You. No proof of income. Some people don't want a car in their name. Some people don't can't even get a car because their insurance, they can't get no insurance. They got a DUI before. They can't get any insurance. There's so many situations and circumstances people are in on why they need to rent a car. And I did research on all that, so I know who to serve. Mm. Some people say, well, I don't, I don't want to be on hire car. How can I get Uber drivers? There's a place where you can find, guaranteed to find Uber drivers sitting there chilling. Airport. Go to the airport and say, hey, how much you paying for this, this car that you got from Uber? Sometimes Uber provides cars for people mm. and charges them directly the monthly fee. Right. So you ask them, how much they charge you? And they charge me $380 a month. I got a car that's better for you, better year, Yo. and I'm gonna charge you fifty dollars less. I'm about to ask my boy because he he actually drives for Uber. And ask him how much he's paying. Is he driving his own car? Because if he's driving his own no, car, no, he got it from Uber. Oh, yeah, see, find out. And oh. all you gotta do is tell him. Well, I got a cheaper car for you. So if y'all can, y'all can, y'all can oh, hear this. We we live. Oh, we live. Say less. Yeah, bro. Oh, this is gonna be good. Real quick, um, you you rent your car directly from Uber? Um, it's through. Well, um, I had it for a long time. Um, uh, I'll call you back and tell you exactly what it was. I can't. Oh, you? Oh, yeah. Are you in a Are you in a ride right now or something? Okay. I'm actually getting a whole change. So how much do you on on the car, the rental car the car you got from them? Um, I think the normal thing is like two twenty five a week, but I pay like um eighty a week. How'd you do that? Golly, because I know somebody that um works there. I actually met somebody and got a little relationship with them. They, they gotcha. Just, yeah, they just, they how just long, did something. I don't know. How long? How long were you paying two eighty a week though? Two, two twenty a week. I was. Yeah. It was like two twenty a week. That was when I had that black car. Remember a long time ago, I picked you up at Lexus. Yeah. How How long were you paying for that? Or how long did you do oh, that? Well, as long as you have a car. Um, I actually wrecked that car, and then. <laughs> Yo, listen, I don't see that, but how how long did you have the car, though? Um, I had that car for 
lost like uh, I think about four four months or something. Paying two twenty a week. Uh huh. So quick eight eighty a month. Uh-huh. Okay. How much you think that car though was? The actual car though was? That car though had to be nothing. 200? Goodness gracious. Okay. What you, what are you saying? What you, you saying like I was getting screwed? No, no. I'm just about to get a car and put it on Turo and rent it out to Turo drivers. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But it, the difference is, um, the tour drivers—they just want to ride around in the car. Not tour. I mean, uh, Air, uh, Uber. My yeah, bad. Uber. Uber. Oh, Uber driver. Oh, that's oh, yeah. Okay. I'm around. I'm about, yeah. Oh. I almost says man. Mister Let Go yeah, in but, the building. Uh, so you know what I'm saying? Yeah, All right, listen. <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, so I'm about to get a car and put it on um, hire car. Put it on hire car. So for Uber drivers uh-huh. to drive. You know a lot of drivers that do that, right? Do what? That uh-huh. rent cars from from Uber and these other places to drive. Nah, uh, I don't know nobody. How'd you know? How'd you get it? How'd I get what? How'd you get your car to drive for rental on on Uber? Uh, Uber? They, yeah, they, they, they um, have the like, service. It's, it's, it's a little advertising thing, and it's like three different companies that you can work with. Yeah, and gotcha. Then, um, they plug you in. Uh, then you just hit that company, but I don't remember exactly the name of the company. It was like three different company, and I just did it. And then gotcha. boom, yeah. But at, after a certain amount of time, I gained a relationship with somebody, so I don't really pay nothing. Gotcha. Because I, I ain't got to pay insurance. Like, I ain't got to pay for this oil change. I ain't got to do nothing. Mm, I like that. So like, I like that. Because overall, $80 a week. Uh, That's why somebody that bought their car, it just, it just <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the thing about it, just like I said, I wrecked one of their cars, and I just went and got another one. <laughs> right. Oh, you, you said you still have the other car? No. What? What other car? No, the you, one only, you, oh, you only drive the one, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. All right, for sure, for sure. All right, cool. All right, that's, that's all I needed. I appreciate Had, like, a long way to go before you reached your peak. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I had no clientele. You okay. Know, I had no clientele, and um, it, it took a while. It took maybe six months to build to build trust in the community and to build clientele. So, thousands of these credit cards, you're literally taking these little holograms, and you're physically like placing them on each of these credit each cards one, with your hands, like one. hand by hand. Yeah, each one, each credit card, each shit, each card's dude. How long does that take? How long does it take to do one card? Oh, I had it down. I could, I could print one card in less than five minutes. I could print I could everything. Print, print I it. Could, stick everything onto it. Yeah. Well, yeah. See, I would already have all the. I would already have all the the templates lined up in Photoshop. Okay. Like ready to go. All my windows open. Bomb, 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 bomb. You know what I mean? And then I would load maybe like ten or fifteen cards in the printer, mm-hmm. and I would be like, okay, print in sequence. Print one. Print two. Print three. Print four. Print five. So then it would it would run out all the cards, print them front and back. You know okay. what I mean? It would put the put all and the, the only thing I really had to do myself was emboss, and do the hologram. So I would have to physically place the hologram myself and use a heat press to adhere it to the plastic. 
and then I would have to to, to manually emboss the card myself. And this is before I got the auto embosser, where I could just throw them in and do a batch, and it would you know run a fifty or hundred at a time. Damn. Yeah. So when I got down, when I got really efficient at it, I could maybe do a hundred cards in an hour, about an hour. I could print hologram and emboss about a hundred. So cards. you're making close to a hundred, a thousand cards in a day. Yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm cranking away, but then you know sometimes you have problems. Mm-hmm. The printer starts gets too hot and starts fucking melting cards and printing mm-hmm. shit sideways, you know, so you've yeah. always got little issues. Right. Yeah, like that you gotta deal with. But yeah, I could do a thousand cards in a day. What's the on most cards day? that you did in a day, you think? That I've manufactured in one day? Mm-hmm. I think I've done about eight hundred, six between six and eight hundred in wow. one day. You know, on a good day. If mm-hmm. everything was going right and I had mm-hmm. all my equipment operating mm-hmm. properly. Yeah. Okay, so how did you start getting this getting this out there on on online or on these black market on these uh, um, on the dark web and start getting customers to buy shitloads of them? Yeah, so so the initially the first uh, Carter forum that I was on, I went ahead and I just made my first post. Here I am, new vendor. Right. Um, here's my product. You know, you post pictures. It's like a whole, well, it was like a whole thing, not anymore. And then, you know, I would get maybe like one or two orders a month, mm-hmm. you know. And then once those orders came in and like people started leaving positive feedback, it just kind of snowballed after that. And then I remember the day, because I would only get maybe one or two orders, but I remember the day I woke up and I checked, I think I checked one of my emails and I had 15 or 20 20 orders waiting for me and I couldn't believe it. How much per, how much is $1000. One order is $1000. Yeah. For how many cards? Uh 100. 100 cards. Yeah, it's $20 a card, 100 cards, two drivers or you get I'd make IDs for you however many you wanted. And then I would do I think it was like 100 cards embossed, everything encoded, numbers and IDs and IDs. Yeah. Holy shit. But I wouldn't make a hundred IDs. Obviously I'd make like two or three. Okay. You know, or whatever that, whatever they wanted. But it mean, you know, so there there was a cap on that. So the IDs have to obviously correspond with the credit cards. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because say you go to a store and you make a purchase, um, and it's over like three or $400. Like a lot of stores, like people don't realize this, but a lot of stores, like say Best Buy, you go to Mm -hmm. Best Buy, if you make a purchase over $300, they ask physically ask for your card, mm. and they physically take your card, and they, they go on their POS machine. Now, their POS machine, the point-of-sale service machine, won't let them process the sale unless the four digits on the front of the card match what's actually encoded to the card. Mm. So it's like, a, it's like a security step. So what they do is they take the card, and they punch the numbers into the computer because you've already swiped it. So they're going to punch these numbers in. And if these numbers in the front of the card don't match what's being swiped, it's automatic fraud. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to have the corresponding plastic to match the, to match the numbers. And you have to have the ID because they're going to ask for, for ID. Because A, I don't have the people's PIN number. So you're not processing it as debit. You always have to process it as credit, even though it's a debit card. Got it. So they have to have ID. When you process anything for credit, they always ask for ID, always, especially if it's a big purchase. Right. You know. Huh. 
Louis Vuitton, you go to Louis Vuitton and try and buy a, a $2,000 handbag on a credit card, they're going to ask you for ID. Right, right. 1,000%. Yeah, yeah. You know? Even if you even if you go in there looking the part, they're still mm-hmm. going to ask. They always ask for ID. Right. You know? So you have to have the ID to match the card. Everything mm-hmm. has the jive. The numbers, okay. everything has the to, to be coherent. Okay, so is there a minimum number of cards they had to buy for one order? So is the minimum a hundred card minimum? 100? It was a thousand dollar minimum order. Okay, so it was a hundred cards, and perhaps no state has been more affected by the foreclosure crisis than the state of Nevada. And in the wake of the foreclosure crisis, what we're seeing is that law enforcement has really ramped up investigation as to what the root causes or what they feel the root causes of the mortgage crisis are. So right now in the state of Nevada, we're seeing a lot of prosecutions where allegations of mortgage fraud come into play. And mortgage fraud encompasses a wide range of scenarios involving deceptive mortgage practices. It can involve false information provided to a lender. It can involve artificially high appraisals that help to uh, entice the bank to lend a large amount of money for the purchase of a home. It can involve straw buyers, all of which are prosecuted in Nevada under the title of mortgage fraud. Here in Nevada, one common example of mortgage fraud is what is known as a false loan modification scheme. This often involves someone trying to prey on a distressed homeowner by perhaps offering to reduce principal, avoid foreclosure, and allow someone to stay in their home. Oftentimes, that person will take money up front but then not do anything for that distressed homeowner, and they often go into foreclosure anyway. Another common example of mortgage fraud here in Nevada is using false information on loan applications. Now, today, lending standards have become much more strict, and uh, lenders will want to verify your income and your assets and your debts and and your taxes before authorizing a loan. But back in the day, before the market crashed, there were lots of mortgages that were issued based on what was called stated income. And uh, these sort of gained a term in the industry, liar loans. Liar loans because people would lie. They, They would lie about their income. They would lie about the assets that they had for collateral, they would lie about their debts and and liabilities, and none of this was really verified. And what I think a lot of people didn't realize or or didn't sort of pay attention to at the time is that they were signing under penalty of perjury that all of this information was true and correct. And today what we're seeing is state and federal authorities going back and prosecuting many of these people for mortgage fraud, for perjury, based on this misinformation uh, that they put in their applications. And the reality of the situation is that a lot of these uh, uh, listing agents and and, uh, escrow officers and, and lenders had an incentive to push these deals through. They wanted their commissions. 
And so they would really coach the loan applicants in what they needed to say to meet the lending standards, to get the loan, even if that meant providing misinformation. And the culture in the industry sort of became that, that this was just how things were done. These were how deals were made. This is how people got their homes. This is how people made their investments. Everybody was doing it. It wasn't seen as something that was unethical or illegal. And people who did provide misinformation and perjure themselves never imagined that they would someday face the consequences of being prosecuted for a felony and going to prison for what they did. Straw buying usually involves a situation where someone wants to buy a home, but they lack good credit. So usually that person will recruit someone else, often known as the straw buyer, with good credit to stand in for them in order to obtain a loan from a bank. That person can find themselves facing bank fraud because they deceived the bank into providing them a loan for someone who actually did have bad credit. It's not uncommon to see a straw buyer scheme where the straw buyer is really more of an unwitting a victim to the sophisticated scheme of, of other players. So uh, a straw buyer may be offered several thousand dollars to sign documents for the purchase of a property where there were third parties like the buyer or the mortgage lender or the realtor that had a lot more to gain than the straw buyer. And the straw buyer is the one that's being prosecuted and made the scapegoat for the entire transaction. The main statute here in Nevada with regard to mortgage fraud is NRS 205.372, which makes it a felony to be involved in a deceptive